This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt, your coach here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Holy cow, recovering from Debate Fest 2015. Wow, what an interesting night. Plus, Jon Stewart, done. Bye-bye. I mean, it's crazy. He was, this is a, that was a big night. And I was actually at a wedding dinner all night. You missed it all? I went and watched every clip I could get on the debate. But holy cow, man. You know what? It really did remind me of looking for cars, trying to buy a car, <laughs> because one candidate would come out and you're like, oh, oh, oh yeah, that, good. yeah, that looked really good. And then the next one comes out and you shut the door and it sounds a little hollow. <laughs> and then, you know, there's I it was it's so interesting. Fiorina, I thought, did awesome. Mm-hmm. She is. She's impressive. She's way impressive. I think there's this weird problem we all have where you might like one of them, but then you think, yeah, but they could never win. So you know, they're a great they're a great number two. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of feel that way with Fiorina, but I think she could win. But you have to have the deal with all of this is you have to have money and then you have to have the blessings of the elders, the so, elders of the GOP. And you have to have airtime and you have to have airtime. And some of these people don't get airtime. They don't get enough airtime. And then there's Jeb. And I love Jeb. That was great. He did great. But he kind of reminds me of the really nice uncle. Mm hmm. That keeps throwing the family reunions. <laughs> he's the guy you don't you love him, man. He's great, but you kind of want you. Sometimes you want someone younger like Rubio. Mm-hmm. I thought Rubio was great. Don't you think Rubio yeah, was great? Was, but it seemed really like well. Rubio was playing to the millennials. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like he's going to be this motivator for the millennials, which mm-hmm. we need so bad. Except then I wondered, you know, do millennials vote? Who knows? Why well, that's hope so. They don't tend to always buy yeah. into the institutions, right. so. But then you're like, oh, Rubio's way cool. And then, you know, Huckabee went way out on the social conservative. And I'm a social conservative, but, ah, uh, you know. Then there was Paul, Rand Paul, just pretty much fighting with everyone. Yeah. I mean, he's a tough cookie. Yeah, I think he's, uh, I don't know. I, I think of all of them, he, he was the least impressive to me. Yeah. As far as what the uh, true Republican Party's all about. Mm-hmm. He's more, you know, libertarian. Right, he's libertarian, but mm-hmm. he's kind of like, oh, okay. But it's like it's like a he's the Subaru. He's it's a great car if you want the all wheel drive, <laughs> take your family. But if you don't really want all wheel drive, and it's not about all wheel drive, mm-hmm. it's about I don't know comfort. You're really maybe thinking you want about cars else. these days, aren't I really, you? I spend a lot of time thinking about cars lately. <laughs> but it, but that's what frustrates me is I, it, what I figured out is I just have to find the exact car I want, mm-hmm. which I'm finding now, mm-hmm. and I know what I need, like. I didn't know I needed a seat that had a cooler, yeah, a chiller. I didn't know I needed my seat chilled until I had my seat chilled. And, and then you realized how good it felt, didn't you? Once you have your seat chilled, I'm like, I need a seat chiller. You don't go back, chiller. yeah. So now I know I need a car with a seat chill. By the mm-hmm. way, I do not know which candidate's a seat chiller. Well, I was going to ask you, if you know, talking about cars, what would Donald Trump be? Donald Trump would probably be a Hummer. Just right? running over everybody. <laughs> running over everybody. Park, when he parks, he's like hits three cars. In fact, let me give you an example of maybe where Trump hit a few people. Let's, uh, let's listen to clip number two here. 
Yeah, Trump's a Hummer. And they targeted the Hummer to see if he was going to uh, – how he would handle the ladies. Mm-hmm. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only Rosie O'Donnell. (sighs) Thank you. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, She was tough on him. She was tough on him. He was very tough. And then he he pushed back on her. Mm -hmm. And the way he did it again, it was just... It was it had to have been like an affront to women. So right. you, it what was did a little. You think? I thought it was a little harsh for sure. I I, I love Megyn Kelly. Yeah. I think she's brilliant. I think she does a fantastic job. I thought he was a little harsh for sure. She's one of the best in the business. Yeah. She's one of the highest rated yep. in the business. She's very good. And he took her on because she dared to ask him the question. Mm-hmm. And he even just assumed it was her doing it. I think that in the end, somebody made a really good comment. One of the commentators said, "It seems like Trump's trying to win the GOP nomination without any women." Yeah. Because it's like it's like he's offending. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a uh, but, what's the word I want? Yeah, he just offends everyone. There's but even the Rosie O'Donnell again, even if you don't like her, we we don't call people fat pigs and slobs, right? And we don't call entire countries rapists. You just, yeah, and especially yeah. if Hillary Clinton is the uh, Democratic nominee, and you know, she'll she'll go again. This is a war on women, and yeah. you know it, it, that could get ugly. Yeah, yeah, that could get very ugly. Crazy. I'm just glad it's over. I'm glad the too. first one's over. Now let's just move on. Yeah, I mean, what else is I think is cool is you now see what you've got. Mm-hmm. And again, I think with with um, with uh, Ben Carson, mm-hmm. what an incredible spirit, what an incredible guy. Just can't be president doesn't seem like you know what i mean beautiful man right i i think as far as when you get deep into the issues he's probably not really yeah. great at that at this point i walked in last night and my son said mom ben carson's getting the least time of anybody uh-huh. and uh so i missed the first little bit of it and uh i think that was true i think he got about the least amount of time no i think he did too. and some of that is just you got to go grab it and yeah. go i mean how many times did Rand paul just jump in try to jump in and- but um but again, I, and then somebody I heard make a comment that said, this is the most powerful, important position in the world. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, maybe not. I mean, honestly, maybe I think I'd rather have Ben Carson be um, Secretary of State. He'd be great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I'd, I don't, I'd really honestly rather have Ben Carson be um, president of, of some organization that's going to change lives – in a more direct way than even the president will. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like these are all incredible people that probably need to be doing other a lot things. of other things. <laughs> the problem is if they all get out of politics, it looks like they'll probably all go to the public sector and make billions of dollars and then go lobby yeah. all the politicians. I like that it didn't get too nasty as far as uh, infighting. I mean there were a few times, but you know, there's so many big issues facing the nation let's just all get on the same page and try to fix things, oh, totally. you know? But once this gets whittled down, I think then you're going to see everybody going at each other. Yeah, That's I just think, how it works. And then, again, my, my I think my favorite of the night was Kasich, John Kasich, when he's like, if my daughter was gay, right. I'd love her. love her. Mm-hmm. you got to love her. That's right. what we believe in. Mm-hmm. We'd love her. And I think that's what we need. You need more inclusion. But, again, interestingly, you can also see how divided the party is because – we go talk about abortion, and there's you can totally believe in that, but you just can't have kind of a one-cylinder candidate. Right. You can't have a candidate that is only one 
idea. Yeah. It seems like everybody had a strength of one thing yeah. or another. It's like you wish one person had all of that, yeah. you know? And Wouldn't then, that be that's great? Just not, that's just not the case. They don't exist. No. So maybe we're asking for too much. I think we are. <laughs> Which is maybe Especially that's why. Especially if you're it not a fan matter. of Barack Obama and you're oh, looking yeah. for something, somebody with a lot more experience than he had uh-huh. coming in. Yeah. But like when you look at any of these, who of these really. I mean, like you, you fall in love with a Rubio, but he, to me, it's like, well, that's about the same experience as Barack. Oh, he's, when he's he got a lot more. Well, five years, right? Yeah, yeah. But, Barack did not have that much. Well, didn't he have like all. four years as a senator? I don't. But he probably didn't have much. as much as as Rubio in defense. But in the end, I kind of look at this and I'm like, maybe you just have to have the best learner, mm-hmm. the most open minded, the hardest working, the most. You know, it's interesting. People will say, well, you look back at Ronald Reagan. He was a, a, a big time conservative and he, it was, he went in a landslide. And then you say – then the people say, but we can't do that again. This nation is so different. Right. Uh, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure that no. it is. It's going to be interesting to find out if a real conservative like a, a, a Cruz one I, – I don't know. I don't, I don't know if yeah. he's too conservative for the nation right now. I don't know. It'll be you know, interesting to you see. You know, it's, it's got to be Carly. Because she's just an outsider. <laughs> she's not there to be a politician, really. I mean, she doesn't, but... I you know, know, the unfortunate thing is, though, I think she's so far down in the polls that yeah. she's just, she's not going to get the airtime. No, she's just you're, not, not, not going to get the money, money and, or not, the airtime. and she doesn't have the name recognition. Right, right. Boy, interesting that's stuff. Huge. That's no? huge. That's huge. I know. Name Crazy. Recognition well, let's, uh, let's find out what else is going on in the headlines. Well, talking about the first GOP presidential debate, it is in the books. And frontrunner Donald Trump did not back down last night. Throughout the debate, he called reporters dishonest and said many U.S. leaders are stupid. Trump got most of the airtime, speaking for 10 and a half minutes, followed by Jeb Bush. In one of the key questions of the night, Trump was the only one unwilling to say he would not run as a third-party candidate. Besides, Trump said he plans on winning the Republican nomination. If I'm the nominee, I will pledge I will not run as an independent. But, uh, and I am discussing it with everybody, but I'm you know, talking about a lot of leverage. We want to win, and we will win. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker got high grades after the debate. Here he talks on one of the hot topics of the night, national security. That. You know, Putin believes in the old Lenin adage that you probe with bayonets. When you find mush, you push. When you find steel, you stop. Under Obama and Clinton, we found a lot of mush over the last few years. We need to have a national security that puts steel in front of our enemies. Much of the debate was spent on repealing Obamacare, illegal immigration, and slamming Hillary Clinton. Most pundits agreed there were no major gaffes or knockouts. The next GOP debate is scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. In the early debate, Carly Fiorina was given high marks. She talked about an apparent phone call between Trump and Bill Clinton before Trump announced he was running. Well, I don't know. I didn't get a phone call from Bill Clinton before I jumped in the race. Did any of you get a phone call from Bill Clinton? I didn't. Maybe it's because I hadn't given money to the foundation or donated to his wife's Senate campaign. Trump denied the claim, saying he spoke with Clinton after he announced his candidacy. The first Democratic debate takes place on October 13th in Nevada. A key Democrat voiced his opposition to the Iran nuclear agreement yesterday. New York Senator Chuck Schumer, the third-ranking Democrat in the Senate, said his concern was that Iran would still be free after the 10-year agreement to build a nuclear weapon. Schumer's no vote could open the floodgates to other congressional Democrats voting against the agreement. President Obama has promised to veto any legislation 
legislation stopping the proposed deal. Final arguments were made by both sides in the penalty phase of the James Holmes trial in Colorado yesterday. The same jury convicted the movie theater shooter of killing 12 people and injuring seven three years ago. The jury will resume deliberations this morning. Holmes will either be sentenced to death or given life in prison. The manhunt for a cop killer in Louisiana ended yesterday when police arrested 27-year-old Grover Cannon. Cannon allegedly shot and killed Officer Thomas Lavallee when the officer responded to a report of a suspicious person. Cannon was already wanted in connection with another shooting on July 15th. And I'm not sure if you watched it, though. We talked about what? it just very briefly. John Stewart signing no. off after 16 years of The Daily Show last night. Stewart was joined by every one of his past and present correspondents, like Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. Stewart also heard jabs by politicians and media personalities he's mocked over the years. And the show was closed by Bruce Springsteen singing Land of Hopes and Dreams and Born to Run. Wow. Were you a big John Stewart fan? Yeah. I Well, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I go to bed early because yeah. I'm... <laughs> Kind of sleepy, <laughs> but no, I I actually am. What I am amazed at really is his his ability to be a commentator. Mm-hmm. But but he's the beginning of this type of journalism ish where he can take someone on right. with humor, make it entertaining. Mm-hmm. So everyone now wants to go watch. You know, somebody and beat up. On. Yeah, the, oh, and he it, beat him up good. Which is an interesting art because it seems like only the damn Democrats can kind of do that really well. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the Republicans do it, then they're labeled something. You well, know, it's so. interesting. So it's so you know, but I also I like John Oliver. I like a lot of his mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there. I just think I think it's cool. They're shining a light on a lot of interesting stuff. Well, Steve Carell. I I, I mean, love he's Steve my Carell, hero. You know, and he was uh, a lot of people that's say where he got his start. I they I am like Steve Carell when they see me talk. Uh huh. Very and much. I'm, I was I, wondering. They don't say Steve Carell. They say Michael Scott. They're like, you remind me of Michael Scott. I'm like, you mean Steve Carell? And they're like, no, actually, Michael Scott. I'm like, rude, rude, totally rude. What a jerk. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes. Well, he could get away with it. John Stewart was is very yeah. up to date on all the politics. He's very. Very knowledgeable and all of that, and that just ticks people off. I know all these all these <laughs> movie stars think they can comment. Well, whatever, everyone's commenting. Yeah, that's true. Well done, good job, Kathy. Uh, great, uh, great review there. I'm telling you, the debate. What an interesting deal. Uh, Trump won't raise his hand. He won't say he's going to support whoever comes out of the GOP. And by the way, first question out of the shoot, everybody boos. What a way to start. It'll be interesting to see what happens to all of the the uh, polls after all of this, see if there's any shifting going on. Hey, but is the American dream dead? You know, in the debate, we heard so many times that there needs to be a change. Something's got to change. We're going to be talking with a researcher, Dr. Carol Hostetter, who um, has done research on the issue to find out if uh, some of the younger generation actually think there's any hope in the American dream. We'll find out when we come back. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, during the debate, pretty much every candidate was like, uh, we, you know, we've got to make America what it used to be. 
And uh, so part of that seems like it's the American dream, and people uh, are losing confidence in that dream, especially teenagers, apparently. You know, our country was built on the ideal that every citizen would have the opportunity for success of improving their own prosperity by just working hard. And many, um, you know, for many, this dream is is uh, no longer there. We wanted to talk to a researcher who's actually conducted research on the topic. Dr. Carol Hostetter uh, is joining us, and um, she has says that many kids from the gen- this generation uh, think opportunities are handed out to individuals rather than created by them. One student, in fact, told their researchers, you can always work hard, but if you aren't given the opportunity, then you never get the chance to get uh, out of where you are. So we wanted to uh, talk to Dr. Carol Hostetter about her research. Uh, again, a professor at, the, uh, at Indiana University in the School of Social Work. Uh, Dr. Hostetter, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Good morning to you. Great to have you here. Talk about your research um, with uh, these high school students. I did the research over a period of 15 years. In 1996, I interviewed adolescents and then again in 2011, and the differences were what was striking to me. Hmm. What'd you find? I found that in 1996, there was a lot of optimism that students, by and large, I didn't ask directly about the American dream, but I found this emerged as they spoke. They said, you know, any kid in America can grow up and do anything they want, and uh, in 2011, they were much more aware of the lack of mobility, the lack of the ability to establish financial security if you didn't have parental funding and Hmm. a lot of good luck. Wow, these were teenagers. Yes. High school teenagers. 17, 18, 19-year-olds. And and they're naturally kind of sensing – I mean, that's an interesting shift, right, within just how many years? Six, five years? Fifteen. Oh, 15 years. Yeah, from from 96, right. Um, Wow. What – and so – but you weren't specifically asking about it, but they were naturally yeah. saying back in 96 that it was everyone, anyone could do it, just had to work hard enough. And today they're saying you really need – you need to have an advantage. You need to have some somebody kind of set it up. Yes, or just good luck. Or good luck. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know exactly what they mean by that. Maybe you're a great football star or something like that. You're You're born with a great talent that – uh, wow. lifts you up. What so when you think about that as a social scientist, what what where does your head go? Well, I think about um, college education, of course. I'm a professor, so that's, right. that's what I think about a lot. And I think about college debt. I know my father went to college you no know, generations ago, and um, you know it didn't it wasn't free, but um, at that time, and even in the '70s when I went to college, you could work in the summer in a factory and earn enough money for the tuition for the following year. They were jobs the factories wanted you. Right. And I'm from Indiana, and in Indiana, we had factories, and you could do that. And we don't have those factories anymore, and you, you can't earn enough money in the summer at McDonald's or even Starbucks to um, pay your college tuition for the next year. So even, yeah, even back then, if you didn't have, you know, the rich daddy to just send you to college and you can go be a sorority girl, you you could go work it. You know, there was jobs, there was opportunities. 
save your money, go to school. Next summer, save your money, go to school. There was a way to do it. So it's almost like That's they right. – so some of this is probably just economic, financial. They just feel like there's not the same opportunity. But we, I think they've been hearing all the talk about college debt. Yeah. And, and college debt, you know, burdens people so that they can't buy a home and they can't get a car and they can't do the, you know, what we think of as pieces of the American dream. It's, um, it's very profound. And you can't uh, go bank, you know, you can't declare bankruptcy mm-hmm. on your, debt. your college debt. And right. I'm not saying you should. I'm against declaring bankruptcy. But, um, you know, it, our society has fixed it. So there are certain debts you can get out of and certain debts you cannot, and college debt is one that you cannot. Isn't that – it, it really is an interesting shift because you used to be able to go to college by earning your way there, and it almost is like we've replaced it. We've kind of outsourced those jobs to maybe other places, other countries, and now you can still go to school because the promise there is still alive, but you've got to go into debt. Definitely, uh, if your parents – don't pay for it. Yeah. State state legislatures have really cut the funding. I, uh, I don't know if you heard, but yeah. Arizona recently moved to pull all state funding for two community colleges. Mm. And community colleges are the foundation for people who don't have a lot of money and don't have wealthy parents to send them to college. Yeah. Well, and then, yeah, and then there's, so 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 state legislatures are pulling funding so prices are going up, costs are going up, and and yet there's there's also all of these other kinds of schools that are that are kind of preying on these students, you know, oh, yes. and tempting them in and giving them a really you know giving them a degree, but that's maybe worth or that costs four or five times more than its value. Yes, and it's probably not accredited, mm-hmm. and, and they can't get jobs if they think they want to get a certain type of job, like to to get a teacher's license and uh, or to become. A social worker, a licensed social worker, you have to go to an accredited college. And, wow. And, uh, the dream, it, the it, it, it is. It's interesting. And it's interesting how, how the dream was is so tied to our educational um, kind of pursuits and values. Let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Carol Hostetter, who uh, was one of uh, the authors on a study about um, what, what, about the American dream and how our teenagers are starting to kind of shift away. They're, they're moving away from believing that this dream is actually something that they can go work and attain. Um, sure, it's there if somebody gives them the opportunity or if just they get lucky, but uh, it's no longer just something you can work for. We're going to come back, continue this discussion with uh, Indiana University professor, Dr. Carol Hostetter. Stick with us, folks. Trying to uncover the, the haze uh, that might be over our youth today when it comes to the dream. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. Is the American dream still alive? Well, it is, uh, you know, for some people. Um, just was reading an interesting article from Forbes magazine that says, uh, where the dream may still be alive may actually be in international students. Because they're coming to America like crazy. In fact, apparently there are some one million foreign students enrolled in U.S. colleges and universities 
which is an all-time peak since uh, 2000. In 2014, it's an all-time high. And they're, you know, they're loving the opportunity and the educational opportunity. The dream is still alive for some. But according to the research from Dr. Carol Hostetter from um, Indiana University School of Social Work, she interviewed high school teens basically in a 15-year study from 1996 to 2011. And what she found out is uh, that these these uh, these teens, they don't quite feel like the dream is alive. Dr. Carol Hostetter, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. What um, when you when you talk about the American dream, how do you how do you formulate what the dream is? What what is the, the American dream? Any child in America can grow up to be financially self-sufficient. Anyone can make it. Yeah. And it's a social mobility that at the start of this country wasn't really existing in European countries where, you know, many of us came from. So So it was notable. It was was exceptional. It was mobility. It was the ability to be independent and to to kind of create your own world, but financially be independent enough to have the life you want and create the life you want. Yes, and you could jump social classes. You didn't just have to be, you know, a poor girl who married the rich man. Uh, You could make it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't just a class system either, was it? And do they – does it – feel more like for our teens that it's falling more into a class system? I mean, if your parents aren't wealthy enough to get you to college then, or to buy you the, the magic fairy that will make you lucky mm-hmm. um, to get to college, that you won't have a shot. Yes, or even in, in elementary school and high school, if your parents don't buy you that iPad and everybody else has it, and then the teachers kind of gravitate towards the children who have the technology and the wherewithal and because they're fun to work with yeah. you can understand that and then the you know those that have get more true i mean i can see with my own my kids are all telling me dad everybody has an iphone 6 everybody and i'm like are you no they don't yeah you're an abusive parent i know an iPhone 6. do you sense yeah. carol in your work with these teenagers and your studies are, are they more spoiled is it is it is it um, that they just were raised differently, or is it just I, really I the conditions very, have changed? I find that very hard to tease out because I think about No Child Left Behind and the emphasis on testing, and they come to university now without having a lot of experience in writing, hmm. and they 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 know about taking multiple choice tests, but they don't know as much about writing and expressing their thoughts in writing, and I I think there's a uh, a loss that is taking place because of that. Yeah, because that writing is so much about how you think. It's just thinking mm-hmm. on paper. That's right. And I see a lot of young people uninvolved in our presidential elections. And, you know, Obama kind of catch, you know, was able to capture the wave. Um, yeah, that energy. He ran, but, but that's getting less and less. And I, I think they feel cut off from the process. They feel hopeless and helpless. And that's going to cost them if they're not involved. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, their voices won't be heard. That's what I was thinking. Is uh, last night in the um, debate, you know, everybody kind of brings their goods, and but I was sitting there thinking, I wonder what millennials, who millennials would like. And there was a moment where Rubio, he's young, energetic, and he was talking about there's hope, we can create hope. And I thought, oh, what a great message uh, to talk about the future, not the past. 
But then I thought, are the millennials even listening? Are they even? They probably weren't even listening, and they're probably not even going to vote. And those are millennials. But I, I think our kids. I mean, it's sad. It's sad to have somebody whose voice uh, they don't share. They don't share their voice. They don't share their beliefs per se, and they don't even. They're not even involved. I'm not even listening. Uh, Bernie Sanders, um, who reminds me so much of Eugene McCarthy of yeah. the day, um, just announced that he would introduce a bill designed to make state schools tuition-free for all. Wow. And he's going to do that by passing a tax on financial transactions, including stocks, bonds, and other trades. And you know how that's going to sell. That's right. what he's going to sell. But if... Uh, you know, young people rose up in favor of a bill like that. I'm not saying they should all vote for Bernie Sanders for president yeah. by any means, but but um, you know that's the kind of legislation um, or finding more forgiveness for student loans so they're not saddled with debt. We have a little bit of that if you go into certain social service or um, public education types of sectors, um, you can get some forgiveness. But um, there, there are some states who have really kind of crazy ideas like. Um, uh, you go to college for free, and then you pay back uh, yeah. a certain amount after you have your job. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, there, then it's kind of pay for play. Yeah, or pay it forward. Even. Yeah. Um, so there are some ideas out there, but I think uh, young people are unengaged. Hmm. Well, and it's, I guess it's it's an interesting thing too, because if you're hopeless, if you don't believe in the institutions. Uh, which I know is kind of a trend with some of the millennial age, um, then you may not believe in the institutions to fix the problem. So you may not even trust the government's going to get it right anyway. Right. <laughs> so right. then then that hopelessness might settle in. Is it uh, – I just saw – I just heard of somebody that um, was basically – well, one idea too is that you pay back your student loans based on your income. I think it was Rubio that said – we ought to; these kids ought to be guaranteed, but not guaranteed, but told by the university how much money they're going to make based on their degree out of that school, mm-hmm. and it should be immediately compared to the debt they're going to go into. So it's a very clear decision. Yes, I think uh, financial literacy is becoming more and more important, and there are programs at Indiana University. There's now a student outreach program on financial literacy, so students are telling students. Hmm. Uh, what what does it mean if you borrow thirty thousand dollars? Oh. If you use your student loan money to buy pizza, yeah, pay for a spring break trip, uh, what what is the consequence? And I think I think that will help, and it would be nice to see that in high school. Oh yeah, and maybe it is. I just I don't happen to know. Well, maybe. it's no, it's I mean it's probably not enough. Whatever it is, because uh-huh. we, we've done two or three shows on that, and I just I noticed that. You know the the numbers are still going up. They just keep going up and up. The student debt that pe- kids are taking on. Talk more about some of the government uh, regulations. A lot of times, the government, in an effort to help it to try to fix some of this stuff, they they at the same time actually create you know major obstacles to the American dream. Well, I think that's true, and uh, it's hard to know the balance in that. Um, I guess I'm more aware of the um, the issues of people working two jobs. Um, you know, with, they don't have health insurance; they can't get health insurance. Yeah. So they're working two jobs, three jobs. I have a young relative who's working three part-time jobs. Oh. So just working around the clock, no health insurance, and um, you know, should the government do more about that? I mean, that really depends on your politics. But um, you know, she doesn't have the energy 
to think about, you know, to watch the debates and to be involved and be informed um, when you're working that much. And especially if then if you have young children and then you have to take off work to take them to the doctor and you lose more money that way. You don't have a job like maybe you or I yeah. have where if we take off work, we have sick time. It's so true. And isn't that interesting? In an effort to get uh, health care to everybody, we, we created these regulations for how many hours it constitutes full-time versus part-time. And then so many companies started squeezing, you know, what were full-timers into part-timers. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so now all of a sudden people are forced to uh, maybe right. have – have because, you know, maybe you used to be able to work 34 hours part-time, um, which would work your better for your life. But now you you can't do that. So you got to go get two jobs. And, anyway. and your listeners will probably have opinions on whether or not that was the government's fault or that was the health insurance company. No, there fault you go. No, exactly. To make a profit. That's no. That's exactly right. And so we. It's interesting. You change a little bit of one system, and then fifteen other systems change. That's this is such a complex solution, isn't it? It is, which is why I'm not, you know, running for president. I know. <laughs> Thank heavens we don't have me. to do that, huh? But you, mm-hmm. but your research, I think, is really interesting. So overall, when you look at the change in the teens from 96 to 2011, you, you do sense kind of a more hopeless uh, feeling about their future. Right. I mean, the, the quotation, I've been, I've been screwed out of the American dream. I mean, students saying that directly, young people saying that directly. Mm. Um, think about 1996 and where the economy was, and then 2011, that was just really at the peak of the recession, yeah. And uh, or maybe as things, are, you know, unemployment rates are better, maybe maybe things will improve. We can hope. <laughs> Were, was there any other interesting, um, you know, differences between those two data sets that that stood um, out to you? I think that was the the most profound one. Um, there, I think there was also some empathy that people had in two thousand eleven. You know, I'm. I'm not so sure that it's a bad thing for students to be realistic about the American dream. Yeah. Uh, in 1996, I remember interviewing one girl, 17-year-old girl, whose mother worked in a, a pizza hut, and uh, the girl was convinced she was going to college, but she had no, no, she hadn't taken the courses. She had no college preparatory courses. Um, she didn't know how you apply. She had no advising from high school guidance counselors. So there was an unrealistic aspect, um, but she, you know, well, I can do it. I can go to college. Well, really, can you? Yeah. So well, and that's interesting, yeah, because you it really, and I guess that's the advantage of having parents that have gone is that you do. They might push more on your study habits or how to organize your schedule or just little secrets, little tricks that seem to make a big difference. Mm-hmm. In college, talk just as, as a social worker. Will you just teach us? Um, what do you sense we should be doing as parents to maybe help our children see it's more realistic, the more realistic way to get to the American dream? Or what else What else should we be doing to maybe recreate or reinstill some hope? Well, that's a good question. I think looking at financial literacy, teaching children how to save, uh, teaching children about social class, um, maybe, you know, volunteering um, – you know, at a holiday or another time, taking a family day and going to a soup kitchen and seeing what it's like and seeing how many families are. It's not, you know, the stereotype of of, uh, the homeless person who's just alone and falling down on his luck, but 
you know, there are little children at that soup kitchen, and and then that helps build empathy and help them reflect on their own lives and look at the lives of their friends around them and, and just start to kind of get a sense of how does this we're in a group, big group project. Life is a big group project, and how do, how do we all work together to help each other in this big group project? And in the in the meantime, help ourselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what a great contrast to go show, you know, go show the 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 lives of of what happens. I mean, that's what's so great about a soup kitchen. There's so many reasons why people are there, from just tragedies in their lives to accidents to mistakes to mental health issues to. Um, you know, just to um, financial issues. I mean, there's so many issues, and to, to let them see the complexity of it, and let them feel some compassion for it, and then maybe even show them how what are some of the solutions. And then, if you could ever find a way to inoculate kids against adolescence, <laughs> you would make <laughs> a lot of money. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, our brain development, and maybe teaching them about brain development and how that changes in adolescence and. Uh, how the brain isn't really fully formed until they're 22 or 23, and how can they keep from some of the risky behaviors that are going to affect their futures? Oh, it's so true. And, they, you know, we've all been there, and if you've raised kids, yeah. you're like, oh, listen I to me. Know. Like, how did my parents keep me alive all years? <laughs> it's totally true. Well, great research, and uh, I think just interesting insight for all of us, and kind of sad. It's sad to to think of a generation that, that – you know, feels like they were screwed over, you know, they lost yeah. their dream. We took it from yeah. them. And I think that's yeah, important for us. Because yeah. we do. I mean, we make decisions for their future. And a lot of them, we're not really thinking about them, it doesn't seem like. So got to yeah. be careful. Yeah. Well, Carol, appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at the at Indiana University and uh, in the that Department of Social Work. We really appreciate it. What an interesting thing, don't you think? Wow, when we talk about this, in the end, it's about it's about hope. And it's so interesting, as I've been even just listening to candidates and everything, I think so many of them invoke the concept of hope. President Obama invoked hope. Remember, President Clinton invoked hope. Every president will. But, you know, to some degree, hope is about – it's about you. It's about your ability to go make something happen in your life. And uh, having something to believe in. you got to have something to believe in. Or, uh, you know, people without vision perish. Have you ever heard that one? Interesting little uh, scripture right there. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Do a quick little wrap-up. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, really, it is a tragedy to think that your children may not have hope in the American dream. And one of the things I think we might all want to pay attention to as a parent is, do you make, are you a very good example of what you want your children to be? You know, are you like the walking role model of the American dream? (laughs) Or are you just 
chasing your tail, running around, doing what you can to stay alive and to stay afloat. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. But uh, if you notice, too, there's interesting research just showing that the number of kids getting married is dropping as well. And for a variety of reasons, which we've talked about on the show, um, fewer are getting married. And they're waiting till later to get married, which is actually not a bad idea, according to some research we've uh, talked about recently. The best, uh, healthiest time to get married is 29 to 32, apparently, for the least likely chance of a divorce. 29 to 32 year olds. However, if you go talk to a lot of kids and, and try to find out why they're marrying later, it might simply be because our parents don't seem really happy in their marriage. And do you seem happy in the American dream? You know, after World War II, the dream was just to get back, to have a house, a white picket fence. Remember, it didn't even matter if they were all just track homes next to each other, cookie cuttered out. They just wanted the dream. And I'm afraid it's it's not always there. And it's easy for us to just throw it out because of the darn politicians. You know, they just, yeah. If they were just better. But I found... Um, in many regards, my hope comes from what happens in the walls of my home. My experience, my children's dreams can be easily um, pushed, expanded, motivated just by me, their father or their mother. We can impact those dreams. So what might really be one of the biggest drivers for why our kids, our teens, feel like the American dream is dissipating is because they don't have the tools. They don't have the support. They don't have the model. They don't have the vision for how it's going to happen. There is some interesting research, too, that states that the the child's income is uh, the best indicator for what will drive your child's income up is their father's income. So what the, the income, the job the father has is the best indicator for the job, the education level that the child will have. Now that's a tough game when a lot of our children today don't even have fathers in their lives, right? Again, I was raised with parents, divorced. My dad wasn't in my house, but he was in my life and I'd go to his place of business every single day. And while I was there, that's how that's how I was basically tended after school. And I would go work. You know, sure, slave labor. Sure, illegal in many countries, including our own. But I'd go work. But I learned about the the importance of working. And I even look in my own family with my own kids. They're not getting that experience of coming to my office and working every day. And I think that's interesting because as we as we kind of evolve supposedly away from family businesses, you know, where you used to live above your bakery and you run down and run the bakery every morning and you were, you were very connected or you were on the farm and you were part of the farm. As we move away from those kind of lifestyles, um, I think we might be also losing some very simple ways to teach our kids what life's about. So one of the things I guess I would just challenge all of us to do Make sure that you are making the idea of the family or the American dream, make sure you're modeling it. The dream can't just be getting a lot of money and then never seeing your dad or mom. 
That's not a great dream. And it's hard because you go get one of the best jobs. If you go become a doctor, some of those, you know, the hours as a doctor, they're horrible. And we don't see our mom or our dad. So just think about how you're modeling it. And uh, I don't want it to – I don't want this to be a downer for you, but there are kids. And inside of my home, I can sit down with my family and once a week we try to have a little family meeting, a little family time. And in that meeting, we try to talk about what's going on. And we set some real goals and, you know, you even have to push back and tell everyone we got to work. But just start helping them see that there are opportunities. One other thing I would just challenge all of us to do, and one of the fastest ways I've ever found for somebody to catch the vision of the American dream is they got to know what their talents are, what their strengths are. So make sure you're also teaching your children where they are gifted, what their talents are, their gifts are. And be guiding them. A lot of times they just simply need a guide on the side, which is one of the reasons we use that phrase on the show. Most of us just need a guide. So let's guide our kids to a healthier life. Let's model it. Let's show that it can happen. Let's educate them so they don't get caught in the spiral that leads them down the drain. We'll take a break, folks. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you uh, grow healthier, happier lives right here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Happy Friday to you. Friday. It's Friday. Mm. Isn't that great news? I'm flying to Colorado. I've got a speech today. And uh, going to Colorado. So if you live in the uh, Denver area, come meet me. Actually, I can't tell you where I'm going because it's secret. It's, I don't want to brag, but it's with a lot of really, really big political people. And you don't want your fans to come and, yeah. you know. I don't want overrun my, you. I don't want the three fans I have in Denver <laughs> to come just take over. Hey, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are still uh, recuperating from the festivities last night, the beatdown, the the great uh, battle. What are we calling it? the The debate of all debates. They they say the ratings were off the chart for Fox News. I don't know. It's there's just a lot of hype, isn't there? I think it was just people trying to see what Donald Trump would say mostly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to also see who thinks who, – who the winners were mm-hmm. because I, you know, I do feel like Carly killed it. She knocked it out of the park. And one of the polls will show that in, yeah. my, in my newscast here in a minute. Well, okay. okay. Yeah. You've got polls. Yeah, a couple of them. <laughs> non-scientific. No. But, but, but so the, we could use your non-scientific polls or mm-hmm. we could just use Trump's Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Which said he killed it probably. Did you see what he said? <laughs> I oh, did my not. heavens. I think this is a retweet. But he said, uh, the biggest loser in the debate was at Megyn Kelly. Mm. You can't out-Trump Donald Trump. Wow. You will lose. Ooh. I'm going to tune in tonight just to hear about that on her show then. Honestly. Uh, you don't go after her. I wouldn't go after her. No. She scares She'll me. She'll get you. But she's, uh, she's, a, she's, she's a big, big hitter. Yep. Hey, one of my favorite, not favorite, but an interesting moment in the debate 
so Ben, be getting ready, my friend. An interesting uh, moment in the debate was um, between Christy and Paul. Now, you weren't going to mm-hmm. talk about that, no. were you? Christy and Paul. So clip number nine. Uh, just listen to this. This got pretty heated. That, you know, that's a completely ridiculous answer. I want to collect more records from terrorists, but less records from other people. How are you supposed to know, Megan? You support what are you the supposed amendment. to? How are you supposed you to? No, I'll amendment. tell you how you get a warrant. Let me tell you something. You get a don't, judge to sign when a you, warrant. Uh, you know, Senator. Wait, wait, Governor Christie, make your point. Listen, Senator. You know, when you're sitting in a subcommittee just blowing hot air about this, you can say things like that. When you're responsible for protecting the lives of the American people, then what you need to do is Here's to make sure is to make sure that Here's you use the, problem, the system the way it's supposed. Here's the problem, Governor. You fundamentally misunderstand the Bill of Rights. Every time you did a case, you got a warrant from a judge. I'm talking about searches without warrants, indiscriminately of all Americans' records, and that's what I fought to end. I don't trust President Obama with our records. I know you gave him a big hug, and if you want to give him a big hug again, go right in. That was good. That was a good one. Oh. All on the NSA. Many believe that hug was the death, the kiss of, of death for yep. Romney. Yep. Isn't that interesting? So part of the part of the beatdown last night. But you know what? Let's let's not forget what's really important. Okay, so that all went on, blah, 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 GOP, blah, Trump, blah, blah. Here's the deal though. Today is August seventh. And we always like to point out this very special days and what we're mm-hmm. celebrating on yeah. August 7th. What is today? Today we're celebrating particularly preposterous packaging day. The triple P. The triple P. P cubed? No, P tripled. What do we call that? <laughs> P cubed? Uh, P cubed. That's just sound like a rapper. Uh, hey, have you heard P cube lately? Fantastic. Uh, particularly preposterous packaging. Have you mm. ever almost lost a finger trying to open some packaging? Like on an electronic device with that plastic wrap that's yeah. sealed to it. Uh-huh. And you're like cutting. Have you ever had that problem? Uh, no. Do you ever set up your kid's Christmas every <laughs> Christmas and almost lose a digit? No, Santa does that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, true. no. That's a great point. <laughs> well, for some of us. You know, we're missing fingers oh. because they're just packaging stuff. And then have you ever had more packaging than you had product? Like so much more packaging. Oh, very much. That you just keep. Yeah. You're like, what a waste. Yeah. So to, that's what this whole day is about. Mm-hmm. Let's stop doing that. Yeah. Nobody needs to lose a finger just to unwrap something. My kids are like, Can I, should I get my pocket knife, Dad? We'll use my pocket knife. <laughs> and I'm like, no. no I'll just get a key no, for my keychain. We're fine. I'll just go hook it up to the to the car and we'll just try to open it that way. (laughs) Hit it. Uh, Anyway, um, great day. We're celebrating August 7th and uh, great news as well. Let's go to the headlines with Kathy Aiken and find out what she's got in store. Well, as we've been discussing today, the first GOP presidential debate is over and one conservative poll this morning says Donald Trump won big with 47% of the vote. Next in line was Ted Cruz at nearly 14%, followed by Marco Rubio at 9%. Another poll had Trump at 41%. During the debate, Trump would not back down on the issues, especially illegal immigration. In fact, Trump said he's the reason the issue is such a hot topic today. If it weren't for me, you wouldn't even be talking about illegal immigration, Chris. You wouldn't even be talking about it. This was not a subject that was on anybody's mind until I brought it up. We need to build a wall, and it has to be built quickly. 
Trump got most of the airtime last night, speaking for ten and a half minutes, followed by Jeb Bush. And one of the key and one of the key questions was the unwillingness to say that he would not run as a third party candidate. Neurosurgeon Ben Carson scored some points talking about the military. Well, what we have to stop and think about is the fact that we have weakened ourselves militarily uh, to such an extent that it affects all of our military policies. The sequester is cutting the heart out of our personnel, and at the same time, our enemies are increasing. I would shore up our military first, because if you don't get the military right, nothing else is going to work. In the early debate, one poll of GOP-likely voters says Carly Fiorina won with 73 percent of the vote. Next in line, Rick Perry at 9 percent. While nearly all pundits agree there were no major gaffes, there were also no big knockouts. The next GOP debate scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. While the debate was going on last night, Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton was in Hollywood posing for selfies with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West while raising money from Tom Hanks and Usher. The first Democratic debate will take place October 13th in Nevada. President Obama lost a key ally on the Iran nuclear deal yesterday. New York Senator Chuck Schumer, the third-ranking Democrat in the Senate, said he's voting against the agreement, saying Iran would still be free after the 10-year agreement to build a nuclear weapon. Schumer's no vote could sway other other Democrats on the fence in voting against the deal. President Obama has promised to veto any legislation stopping the proposed nuclear agreement. A suspected tornado ripped through a Walmart in Troy, Alabama yesterday. The storm injured at least five people. One of those injured was in the parking lot when the truck they were in overturned. The jury in the James Holmes trial are scheduled to resume deliberations this morning as they decide his fate. The same jury convicted the movie theater shooter of killing 12 people and injuring 70 three years ago. Holmes will either be sentenced to death or given life in prison. And Matt, did you know President Obama is headed on vacation? No, he is? He and his family. Where's he going? Beginning a 17-day vacation on Martha's Vineyard. What? Yep. He has no public events scheduled during his time there, and it's the sixth time he's been at this particular location since 2009. So here's here's where he'll be staying. Yes. Okay? They'll be staying in a seven-bedroom, nine-bathroom home valued mm. at $12 million. Not a bad pad. Wow. Yeah. That's quite That's kind the, of like uh, your home, but it's well, just not in Sandy, Utah. We have eight bathrooms. Oh, shoot. Not nine. Not nine. Okay. Yeah. But uh, Martha's Vineyard, 17 days. 17 days. Well, see, I mean, he probably does. He still works, I'm assuming. I mean, do you just – does he get up and just lounge around in his jammies? No, he'll be golfing the whole time probably. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Mm -hmm. Can you just – would you love a 17-day vacation? I would love a 17-day vacation. Never been to Martha's Vineyard, but the pictures, it makes it look – Beautiful. Very yeah. seclude, seclude, yeah. secluded and exclusive. Ah. Yeah. It's where wealthy people like you go, Matt. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Colorado. Not, Sorry. I'm going to Colorado. No, it's not the same. <laughs> not the same. And I'm not going for vacation. Are you just going like there I'm going and back to speak. real quickly? I speak tonight. I speak tomorrow. And then I come home. Mm. And you know what? This is the coolest thing about travel. Oh, there's this moment. You get on the airline. You wait for everybody to get on. And you fall asleep, and I then my my slack jaw just pops Walks open. open. <laughs> you start drooling, and I drool. <laughs> I always take my shoes off, uh huh. Because you do know you why? Really? Yeah, you do. Oh, this I'll never you do. do that. You take your shoes off and your socks. Oh, you wear them, and you rub your feet. 
Really? And the guy next to you will never talk to you again. Yeah, totally grossed out. Yeah. That's the Are only way I keep Are you first class? People. I'm assuming first class, right? Uh, no. Oh. I'm not first. I, by the way, yes, I personally am first class. You are. But, uh, but my seat you this time, not first Coach. class. Coach class. Mm-hmm. That's how I fly. That's how you roll. It's usually coach uh, with the seat that doesn't recline yep. because if it did, it would break through the toilet door or oh, wall. Oh, that's the worst seat. Mm-hmm. I do like the extra leg room on the exit row. Yes. But the fact that the seat doesn't go back, that's I I, I like the exit rows, mm-hmm. but I get this little weird anxious moment when the lady comes to talk to me and says, <laughs> okay, guys, um, this is a big deal. Are you guys willing? Yeah. Can you open that window? Can you door open there? the window? Yeah. Everybody's depending on you, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, ah, what if I can't do it? What if I do? I can't get my door open. Oh, and I get a little anxiety moment, and yeah, then nothing like that kind of pressure of saving yeah. everybody's life. And then she's like, dude, relax. It's just, it's We're just not the going exit down. row. We're not going okay. down. Yeah, but have you heard about Malaysian Air? They're finding <laughs> seats. Good oh. thing going to Denver, though. You're not going over any. Water. I'm going over the Rockies. That's kind of scary. A little bumpy. Always it's, bumpy. It's always bumpy way. going always up. Bumpy. But it's a really cool landing because you, you get to just glide in for about an hour right down into that beautiful airport that looks like a circus. Have fun. I wish I was going. I'll take pictures. I'll put them up on my Instagram. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break, folks. Have you ever wondered what would be the perfect age to get married? I talked about it last hour. Is it 25? You know, I'd love my kids to get married around 25. You know, that seems like a good age. We'll be joined uh, next in the next few minutes by Dr. Nick Wolfinger, who's going to discuss some of his research from um, that he's been doing at the University of Utah on the really the ideal age to get married. You won't believe it. It's a lot older than you think, but it may help. So focus, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if a young 20-something-year-old kid came up and said, you know, I really want to get married, when's the best time to get married? What would your advice be? Is it better to wait? Is it better to get married young before, you know, you've solidified all of those bad habits well, today we're going to be answering uh, that question, maybe not once and once and for all, because the reality is there's a lot of learning going on, and we've got a wonderful researcher joining us. You know, there's so much advice we're giving out there, and some of it matters, some of it we're not sure about, but uh, some of the latest research from Dr. Nick Wolfinger, who is uh, he is a researcher, a professor of family and consumer studies an adjunct professor at the sociology uh, of sociology at the University of Utah, and he's been doing some pretty interesting research about when is the best time to get married, and we've asked him to be on the show to, to kind of walk us through what his research is finding. Dr. Nick Wolfinger, welcome to the Matt Townsend Program. Thank you, Matt. I'm very happy to be here. Fascinating research, really, for me. I uh, I do a lot of relationship coaching and marriage coaching and teaching people a bunch of skills, but there's something I've always wondered, and that was the simple uh, question about when is the best time, according to research? I mean, obviously, you got to be in love uh, to to get <laughs> married, right? What, what have you right. found? What have you found in your research? Well, here's the deal. 
Uh, it had been a long-standing finding in the social sciences that the older you were when you got married, the less likely you were to get divorced. Yeah, Period. makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, and the logic is simple. When you're young, you're immature, you're changing a lot, you don't know who you are, you're unsettled. Just imagine uh, your first high school boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> homeroom, you swear your undying love for each other. By third period, you've broken up. By yeah. lunchtime, you're back together again, and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it doesn't not going to look good if your marriage is like that. So this was the understanding. And uh, I had some dates, some national data that would allow me to look at the relationship between age and marriage and divorce, and I realized no one had done any of this research for a while. Hmm. There were just no fresh estimates. We were just going on what everyone had done in the past. And what I found really surprised me. This, um, the story is different now. Now, as you move from your teens to your late 20s, the relationship is just the same as it always was. The older you are in that range, the less likely you are to get divorced for just the reasons we discussed. But, and here's what I found that was new. Uh, past your early 30s, um, you're now more likely to get divorced the longer you wait. Huh. So, so it's a U-shaped relationship. Yeah, the, a, the diminishing goal. return past 30 something two three yeah, so it's, a, it's a, rather than just a line it's a you the likelihood of divorce goes down as you uh age into your late 20s and then it plateaus and then it starts to go up again uh jordan weissman slate is calling this the goldilocks theory of marriage huh. not too old not too young right in the middle <laughs> this one's just right isn't yeah. it's such an interesting i mean we get the young side um, and and I guess part of that is just the immaturity and maybe the lack of living. But what what's the other side of the U? What's what's right. the what's the issue going on with the thirty plus? Well, that's really hard to say. Uh, let me first point out that one of the challenges in explaining it is this is a new finding. If you go to data that are twenty years old, you just see the same steady, linear relationship you always saw. So the U, the U is new. Hmm. That's interesting. And, uh, it's very, it's, I'm sure that's what the trend is. That I have no doubts about, but trying to explain it is much more difficult. So <laughs> let me take a stab at it. Yeah. So when social scientists are in this situation, the first thing they always do is to see if you can explain a result just on the basis of common social and demographic differences between individuals. And so that means the same stuff, generally. It means race. It means differences in education. It means differences in whether you go to church, whether or not you're from a divorced family, um, and so forth. So uh, the one thing I was particularly interested in was this. Um, what's your relationship history had been like before you got married. Mm. And here's why. Um, one possibility is that being older, getting married older, makes divorce more likely because you have more baggage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. You've had more relationships. Maybe you've had children at a wedlock. Um, so that I can look at. I have a measure of how many 
sex partners you've had in your life. I have a, you know, I have data on whether you ever had a child out of wedlock, and both of those things are strong predictors of divorce. Mm. But, you know, I came up with all of these social and demographic differences between individuals. I can only explain a part of the Goldilocks finding. You know, there's it's something cr- else going on there, too. Yeah, it, it, there's something going yeah. on, and it you don't even, is it, I mean, it, it just might simply be certain people that aren't marrying younger are right. less marriageable. Yes, I mean. I mean, that sounds um, offensive, but. Now, here's the thing. When you're doing research like me on, eight, you know, with a sample, of, a national sample of 8,000 people, yeah. one of the strengths of doing research like that is a lot of just the individual differences in personality are going to wash out just because you have such a large sample. But I think you're onto something, nevertheless. And here's why. Um, Americans are waiting longer than ever before to get married. They're you know, the median marriage age is now close to 30. Yeah. Um, and we can go into the reasons for that if you want. But one of the things that means is that um, by your early 30s, a lot of the people who are well-suited to marriage are going to get married. They've been doing it, yeah. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna do it. So who's left? Um, the people who aren't so well-suited to marriage. The people who are untraditional, say. Yeah. People who are jerks. <laughs> um, believe it or not, there are studies uh, in psychology based on twins which show that one of the reasons we get divorced is purely genetic. Hmm. And uh, to put it in unscientific terms, some people are jerks and yeah. they seem to be born jerks. It's... If you're born a jerk, you're going to be less likely to form a relationship and less likely to get married. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it really, it's like, and it it does explain some of it, right? I mean, it's just, I mean, some just, it's, it's, maybe they're just more quiet. Maybe they're more introverted. Maybe they're more socially, you know, difficult. Right. All of these things are potentially true. Hmm. It really is fascinating um, research because yeah. I know in marriage oh, yeah, research people. So maybe by the time you get in the thirties, the people who are, haven't married are people who aren't, you know, married at least once. That is, or people who aren't well suited for marriage, hmm. and those are going to be people who have the highest divorce rates when they do get married. Now, that's not a you know that's not a perfect explanation because it doesn't explain why things have changed so much in the last twenty years. Yeah. Would this cycle have been different? Would this look have have, have looked different twenty five years ago, thirty yeah, years ago? That's the whole point of my study. Twenty five years ago, twenty years ago, the older you were when you got married, the less likely you were to get divorced. Period. Mm-hmm. There yeah. was no no Goldilocks, no U shaped relationship. It was just a steady linear relationship. Interesting. That's what's different. Yeah, I mean, this is that's why this is pretty cutting edge. What's the low end then? So if the high end is thirty. Uh, the high end of the U-shape Goldilocks issue is thirty, early thirties, thirty-three or whatever. What's... Uh, late twenties. Now, you know, I, you know, I provide numbers, um, but you know, I so I say, uh, I say, you know, up to age twenty-eight. But really, right? What's the difference if you're twenty-seven and eleven months, and twenty-eight and yeah. one month? You know, not much. <laughs> not right? much. 
but these are just arbitrary cutoffs because okay. you have to make cutoffs at some point. Yeah, and so so if I guess what we're looking at though then is this is this is for divorce rate. So if you want the best shot at statistically not having a divorce, you'd want to fall somewhere in that happy range of yes. 29. Now, I am great fun at weddings, and here's why. <laughs> As someone who studies divorce, I can tell you everything that predicts divorce, all the social and demographic <laughs> factors yeah. that make it more or less likely your marriage will end. And so, for example, if you want to stay married, you should be, have a college degree you should attend church regularly. You should be from an intact family, um, and so on. Yeah. It doesn't matter what church, by the way. Yeah. Just people who attend regularly divorce less. Um, so, and I could go on like that. But what are, you, what are we going to do, right? Are we going to subject people we meet to this elaborate screening? No. Mm-mm. But this isn't, this isn't practical advice. You've got to fall in love, for heaven's sakes, Nick. <laughs> what, what's love got to do with any of this? Is it is it easier to fall in love? I don't I don't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah, you you tried to avoid that. That's why you've been researching it, I guess. Hey, um, well, <laughs> let, let's. Well, uh, here, well, you know, that's interesting. You say that because really only in the last 60 years has that become one of the most important things we're looking at. Certainly it was a big part of marriage before then, but then there were many other considerations that may have been viewed as equally important. Today, you know, everyone would say that love is the most important thing. But, you know, marriage has always been an economic arrangement as well. Well, yeah, you used to have to have a horse. I mean, maybe a horse mattered more than love. But it, it still is, right? Yeah. Married people have more money. Yeah. Well, this is this is, I think, why I wanted to have this discussion is is to kind of get some of the research out there and get and really start evaluating what is the key to success. Um, and and I, I'm glad we've got you on the line again. We're talking yeah. with Dr. Nick Wolfinger. He is uh, from the University of Utah. He's an adjunct professor of sociology at the University of Utah and is a professor of family and consumer studies as well there. Um, We're going to take a break, come right back, and continue this discussion about his latest research and uh, the best time to get married. Interesting stuff. Goldilocks, uh, you know, not too early, not too late, just right. Somewhere in the middle. We'll take a break. More on marriage and your timeline right here on The Matt Townsend Show. friends to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, today we're talking about your marriage and uh, the best time for you to get married. What age would you say is the best age, the highest likelihood of success, lowest likelihood of divorce? Joining us is Dr. Nicholas H. Wolfinger, a professor of family and consumer studies and adjunct professor of sociology at the University of Utah. He's also the author of the book, Understanding the Divorce Cycle, the Children of Divorce in Their Own Marriages, 
and um, he's he's here today to teach us uh, about some of his latest research, some of the latest and greatest uh, research about your timing and marriage. Uh, welcome back again, Dr. W- uh, Nick Wolfinger. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So good to have you. And it really is an interesting study because um, there's all of these little, we, we give all of this advice, right? And we give, you know, all the skills and communication and the tools, but there's kind of, there's just, there's real data, apparently, that timing does matter too. If you fall in love, it's great, but you may, if you fall in love and you're getting married when you're a teenager, that's the highest likelihood of divorce and failure, isn't it? Absolutely. And so um, th- that's not going away. That's pretty much been, that's been, that's been in the data for for many, yeah, many, yes, many that, years. Yes, so that has always been the case. Uh, you're as a teenager, you're immature, you're changing a lot. Um. Another point that I didn't bring up earlier is if you marry as a teenager, you're probably doing so uh, without social support. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, mom and dad may not like that. Friends will disapprove when your marriage runs into trouble. Your parents are likelihood to say, I told you so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you need the social support. I mean, I guess a lot of this is about, because socially it seems like, overall, people are marrying at a later age. What do you attribute that to anyway? Why is everybody moving to a later age? And what was different about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that made marrying younger such a a, a common occurrence? I think the most important reason why people are waiting uh, is simply that they can't afford it. Yeah, financially. Real wages have been declining uh, for men since 1973. Hmm. Um, and so if you want get get want to get married, you need to feel like you can support uh, your new bride and your new family. And with wages declining, people are waiting longer until they have more job experience and so they earn more money. Now, part of that is what I has been derisively <laughs> called the wedding industrial complex. <laughs> uh, I saw estimates about seven years ago which said the average wedding was now costing north of $25,000. Oh, that's, that's crazy. ridiculous. That is, totally. Right. And so people are, when people are waiting because they feel they can't afford a big-ticket wedding. Mm. So anyhow, money is one reason people are waiting longer. And there's another is the alternatives. Uh, namely, it's now socially accessible to have sex out of wedlock, to live with your partner out of wedlock. Uh, look at uh, the state of Utah, where people marry on average several years earlier than the national average. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that there are a lot of people there who are Mormon, and they believe that sex is something you should only have in the bonds of matrimony, so they're marrying earlier, so they can have, um, you know, because that's where sex is acceptable to them. Yeah. And is that, when you when you look at that, and you look at this uh these changing ages does do, does it make a big difference in the divorce rate i mean is the divorce rate i mean i assume the south is very similar a lot are probably getting married a little younger there is yes. it, does it make a difference um i guess just because we, we're not having the maturity i guess we're not growing up i mean i know some research i just read is the mind or the, the 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 brain is not reaching full maturity till the age of twenty five anyway. 
So it's like, are people getting this data, or is this just kind of a natural shift toward, you know, people can cohabitate now, and people right. can get married and, and have, you know, extra or have sex outside of marriage. Is, is, it, is, it, showing this, is it showing a healthy result? It, well, you know, that's a complicated question, and there are no simple answers. Yeah. Um, but one consequence that I think is beneficial is that the divorce rate has been going down in America since 1981. Yeah. That was the high watermark. And most people don't realize this. Whenever I teach, students always think the divorce rate is continuing to go up. Yeah. But it hasn't. And one of the reasons that people are divorcing a little less is because they're waiting longer to get married. They are not, few of them are marrying as teenagers or in their early 20s. And fewer overall are marrying, right? It used to be 90% of people would marry, wouldn't they? And now we're dropping. Oh, overall marriage. Overall what? That's lifetime marriage. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's how many people will marry in their lifetime. Um, it's declined since then. Um, I have not seen a good estimate for lifetime marriage, but I would believe it's closer to eighty-five percent. Yeah. So but it's most a most people will marry eventually. Most pe- uh, most people want to be married, um, but people due to later marriage and more divorce compared to fifty years ago. Not compared to 30 years ago, but 50 years ago, people will spend less of their lives married. But it still remains what most people want. But the average 30-year-old right now getting married, their parents had a much higher divorce rate, likelihood. It depends upon when their parents, you know, it depends upon how old their parents are. The divorce rate was always low in America, you know, pretty low until the mid-60s, and then it started to increase, and it really got the reason the whole reason we talk about one out of two marriages getting divorced is what happened between 1965 and 1981 what we call the divorce boom in the business that's when the rates shot up and it's declined a little since then but it's still much higher than it was the divorce rate is still much higher than it was in 1965 what was the what did we attribute the the increase in divorce uh during the 60s because what was the cause of that Okay, so, I mean, the 60s were a time of great upheaval in America. It was a time of challenging convention of norms and so forth. Yeah. Uh, So people, you know, marriage was one of those uh, traditional institutions that was challenged. Um, Now, that's not all bad. And the reason I say it's not all bad is people became, um, people started to get the sense that uh, they deserve to be happy in marriage. That became an expectation Yeah, that you should be happy. Now, what that means is that people were much more likely to get married just because of their heart and not their head. Right. Marriage became much more a union about personal fulfillment than an economic union. So that's good, but it's bad because it means that increasingly if people didn't feel like they were happy in their marriages, they felt like they had the right to leave those marriages. Hmm. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, it's good in, you know, so it's a mixed blessing um, for obvious reasons, but it also meant that uh, people no longer had to stick around in marriages that were abusive. If you yeah. were a woman 60 years ago and your husband were beating you, um, 
you would be told to stick it out. Yeah. Uh, you might be, if you went to the police, they wouldn't ignore you. They might say you were doing something, you were doing something wrong. Today, we readily recognize domestic violence as a good reason to get out of a marriage. But that didn't used to be the case. Wow. I mean, um, it's interesting how the, how the times, they, they're changing. And when people think yeah, of a divorce really rate, changed. it's not just no, a static rate. Right. Other reasons are purely for the divorce rate going up are purely economic. Yeah. Um, so as men's wages stagnated, women's wages increased. Many more women joined the labor force. Now, this meant that also, to a small extent, meant women had the economic resources to leave a bad marriage. But there's a more important uh, factor going on. Um, namely, women started to join the labor force, but they were still doing most of the housework. So as women joined the labor force in record numbers, what it meant was there was more conflict at home over who would do the housework because both spouses were increasingly likely to be working full time. Yeah. There's a lot going on to explain why divorce went up so much. Is it um, as you think about uh, this this kind of U shaped curve, where yeah. divorce rates drop and then they hit kind of a low and then they go back up in the early 30s? What what would you suggest to just kind of the average listener, those out there that are you know have kids that are about to get married or are about to get married? What else should they be watching for as indicators, uh, other metrics you've seen that would ensure you know better option or better? Um, likelihood of success? Oh, the first thing I would tell them is is to ignore anything I say. And the reason <laughs> is that's just not how we're going to make decisions. Yeah, you're still going to fall in love, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're, um, right. I mean, I could go down a long, long, I can tell you a long, long list of the kind of people who are most likely to get married, get divorced. Mm-hmm. If they get married, right? So if you want to if you want to stay married, uh, first of all, um, African Americans have traditionally had much higher divorce rates than whites. Um, second, get a college degree. Third, go to church often. Fourth, don't have children out of wedlock. Fifth, if you have sex out of wedlock, don't do it with a lot of people. Don't marry someone from a divorced family. Um, <laughs> isn't it amazing? And again, that's not how you fall in love, is it? No, it really isn't. <laughs> it's like, okay, let me make sure I got this straight. I need a college right. grad who's attending church that's never right. divorced, it comes from a non-divorced family. And I mean, it, it, more every marriage, does. is it true that uh, every marriage um, that you have decreases the likelihood of success yeah. in the next one? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because... Well, first, there can be stepkids, which make things right, difficult. Complications. But beyond that, you've just established that you're, you're a divorcer. Yeah. You've seen the pattern. Yeah. You, you have, you know, the outs. Oh, yeah. it's, it's complicated, isn't it? And, and it, it's got to really frustrate in a way because you've got this great data, but it's not how pe- people work. Right. You know? I mean, certainly, I, you know, I, there's plenty of psychological data I've seen. So, but. You're still not going to choose your spouse, you know, on the likelihood of what a psychologist tells you to look for. <laughs> now, there's good, yeah, there's good studies. I think in uh, particular the work of John Gottman, yeah, 
the University of Washington. Are you, you're familiar with him? Yeah, we've had him on the show. He's great. But yeah, yeah. So he's, he does good work. Um, now, you, I could question the methodology of having people stay in a weekend uh, yeah, retreat in his lap. Yeah. Right. But I think above and beyond what he's, I think what he says is right. Well, yeah. About and the importance of, of styles of communication. And, and it's so complex. And yet everybody's so, so individual. I, I really appreciate your work, though. And, and just uh, I'm excited to get a chance to look at this new book you're coming out with called Soulmates. Religion, Sex, Children, and Marriage Among African Americans and Latinos with Brad Wilcox. We've had him on the show as well. So oh, okay. Oh, great. Yeah. You guys, we'll have to get you on to talk about that sometime in the great. future. I would love to. If you buy my book, I get $2. There, <laughs> you'll be rich someday, Nick. You'll be rich. That's great. Well, we appreciate you again, Dr. Nick Wolfinger uh, from the University of Utah. And go check out uh, this new book, Soulmates. Um, as well as other baby, uh, other books. Do Babies Matter? Gender and Family in the Ivory Tower. That's the fun thing about these academics, man. They got lots of great information. So just go, uh, go look up uh, Nick Wolfinger and, um, and get to it, folks. We're going to take a break. Come back to a little coach's corner on this and uh, see if we can't give you more tools, more insights right here on the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, interesting interview with uh, Dr. Nick Wolfinger. When you think about it, it's not about the age in the end. It's really about your expectations, right? And your maturity and what you expect to get out of a relationship. Um, but uh, in their book, Fighting for Your Marriages, uh, Howard Markman, Scott Stanley, uh, they, they wrote a list of questions you might want to ask to get the discussion going on your expectations. So here's a few of them, and we'll just kind of do a quick coach's corner on it. Um, first thing I would – these are all just little discussions that need to be had. And you can formulate questions, but it might be great to just bring these up one by one as you're, as you're dating and getting serious. One thing you might want to talk about is uh, the longevity of the relationship. Is a marriage really till death do us part? Um, and I'd open, I'd open up a really big discussion of what, you know, what constitutes divorce, what would drive that, I mean, not even divorce, but what is this commitment or covenant or promise we're making to each other? What does that mean to you? What does till death do us part mean to you? If I have a mental health issue, what does that mean? Is, is this going to, is that death? What if I can't get a job? Do you believe that we can fall out of love? Just interesting little discussions that you might want to have. Uh, sexual fidelity, what does that mean to you? When we say we're going to be faithful to each other, what does that mean exactly? Love, what does that mean to you? Do you expect to love each other always? Would anything change that? What way do you show your love best? What kinds of ways does your partner want to be loved? Can you fall out of love? I mean, these are interesting questions to ask your partner. This might be great to just go home and ask them anyway. Honey, do you believe people can actually fall out of love? I personally 
I don't think you fall out of love. I think you fall into whatever you spend your time on, <laughs> right? So if I spend a lot of my time and energy on Netflix, I will fall in love with Netflix. I don't think you just quit loving somebody. I think your mind goes somewhere else and you start loving somebody else and using your energy and your time somewhere else. You should probably talk about romance. What is romantic? Because romance is different for one than it is for another. Don't think candles will always make it work, right? Don't think that chocolate on Valentine's Day. Children is a major thing I'd be talking about before you're getting married. I've had clients that come in and they're like shocked that their partner doesn't want children. I've never wanted kids. You said you might. (laughs) You might want to sort that one out, right, before you get married. Sure, we could just wait till we're 30. But in reality, you might want to also have some conversations um, to have a healthier marriage. You might want to talk about how you're going to look at the children from your previous marriage if you've already been married. Where do you want them to live? How are they going to live? What if we get the chance to have them with us all the time? Is that okay? How do you feel about that? How do you expect we should share in the upbringing of your children? How how do we discipline the children? I'd have all of those discussions before you get married. I'd talk about work and careers and income. Are we going to split that equally? Whose career or job is more important? Now, you may not think either is more important. Great. So how are we going to negotiate when we have discrepancies? If one of you gets an opportunity, a career opportunity to go somewhere else, how do we handle that? Anyway, interesting questions. Another one, degree of emotional dependency on each other. How much, um, how much do you want me to be around? How much do you want me to take care of you? There's a lot of clients I have that just, they need space. Leave me alone. They come home, they have on Saturday, I know people that on Saturday, they don't just wake up and spend all day together. They wake up, they have breakfast together, they then leave each other for four hours and they go have their own time and they do what they need to get done in their own lives. And then they come back together and they have this Saturday evening together. There's a lot of ways to do it. Basic approach to life. Do you see the two of you as a team or as two independent individuals? Should we approach life as a team? Should we go shopping together? Or are we two independent beings? These are all different questions and issues that these researchers, uh, Howard Markman and Scott Stanley, found are expectations that if they're not managed, you're going to pay for them later. Basic questions. Loyalty. What does it mean to be loyal to each other? How should you show your loyalty? What is obviously disloyal to you? Is telling your parents something that your partner said disloyal? How about power and control? Who do you expect to have more power in what kinds of decisions? Who makes what decisions? Who controls the money? Who controls the bank account? Household tasks. Who do you expect to do what? How much household work should we be sharing and who does what of the housework? Religious beliefs and observances. Are we going to go to church? Are we going to raise our family in a church or a tradition? What happens if one of us backs out and doesn't want to go to church anymore? How do we handle that? What do we talk about? Time together. How much time do we need together? How, many fe- how much time do we have to spend sharing feelings? Friendships. Are we really good friends? What is a friend? What about our other friends? Can I have a same-sex uh, buddy that I want to go with? Can I have an opposite-sex friend that I can go to lunch with? Or is that a no-no? Anyway. Interesting stuff. Uh, I'll post that on my Facebook page today. A list of all the things you should be asking before you're getting married 
basic stuff, folks. Stick with us. Go find my Facebook page. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And I hope you're recovering from the GOP debate. It was crazy. One of the things I found about the debate, uh, really, there's a lot of great parts. And if I could start dissecting each one of them and making my own little, um, what, what's that bear company called where you can go to make your own bear? Build a bear. Build a bear. Build a bear. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, are you saying? Build a Republican if or I could, build a... If I could build a candidate, I'd go take certain parts of each of these people, <laughs> um, and then I'd build the perfect bear. Because one of the things you saw last night, and they had to do it all the time through the entire night, they kept just going to their biographies, and they just dropped back to, this is my... I've done this. I On, on September 10th, I was made the whatever, and, you know... Chris Christie tells his story. Everybody tells their story of what separates them, what makes them special, what makes them the deal, the difference maker. So, but of all of those, there was one that was brilliant that I got to play, and it came from Ben Carson as he was doing his wrap up. He was kind of making fun of everybody else, but it, it finally it just created a really interesting uh, dynamic. Well, I haven't said anything about me being the only one to do anything, so let me try that. I'm the only one to separate Siamese twins. Uh, the, only <laughs> the, o- the only one to operate on babies while they were still in the mother's womb. The only one to take out half of a brain, although you would think if you go to Washington that someone had beat me to it. <laughs> Isn't that great? That was the best singer of Isn't the night, that, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that was well, a good and one. Because there's just – and that's why I, I just love him. And I think – but again, you got to ask, oh, can he be president? And yet he needs to He needs to be – you know what he needs to be is the head of the UN. Yeah, that would be good. Don't you think? Yeah. He's just such a good person and I a good I remember someone leader. asking him something. He goes, you know, politics isn't brain surgery, even though he is a brain surgeon. <laughs> so I thought funny. that was good. Yeah. And he's the only guy that can get away with that, really, because yeah, exactly. he's the only guy that's done that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was an interesting night. Um, a, not a lot of beatdowns, really. I mean, and not bad, but just a little jab here, a little jab there. You can also just see that everybody's playing for such a different position. Mm-hmm. That um, it's not something I think a lot of people would be disheartened because, holy cow, we still think that way. Yeah. Well, it, each one of them had such little time to really yeah. distinguish themselves. That's the hard part. When you have 10 people That's on a, a stage, the earlier one was seven. Obviously, they got more time, but they just don't have much time to really, you know, stick out. No. And a lot of them probably don't want to stick out because they, you know, you, but you don't want to get too far out there. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I wish, I wish just some polls would come out. Something would happen so that we could cull the herd a little bit. Mm-hmm. If we could get it a little smaller, yep. 
Because I think it'd be really neat to have a Fiorina in, maybe a Perry in. Right. Yeah, get it down well, to twelve. Well, in the 12. next debate, it'll be interesting if they're going to do the same thing or not. I don't know if they're going to split them up, but they figure that everyone will still be in that next debate because yeah. no one really, you know, distinguished themselves over another. So don't you think? Kind of don't you there. think because Trump is in this and he used to own that pageant that we ought to have mm-hmm. some swimsuit competition? Absolutely. I think the men should have to go out and do that. The women do. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It doesn't seem speedos, right. In the speedos, that might be scary. Very scary, uh, actually, for several uh, of them. I just got a little dry heave there. <laughs> wow. Oh, sorry That's about kind that. of scary. That's it is okay. breakfast time. It sorry. is breakfast, and I just had an apple. Oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway, uh, it was, luckily, it's done. And uh, John Stewart retired last night, which is big news as well. And it, it's interesting because of all nights to retire, it's the night of this debate. He, yes. He'd be having a heyday. Yep. Oh, oh. oh, he would. He'd be having a heyday. Well, it is Friday, and so we're going to – in a minute, we're going to come back and talk to Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. He'll be reviewing some movies for us so you can be thinking about your weekend entertainment. Also, a little bit later in the hour, uh, we're going to be bringing in two of our producers. We have about, I think, five or six producers that help us on the show um, here at uh, the Matt Townsend Show. Two of them are going to come in, and they're they're going to teach me – it's basically called Matt meets the millennials and the millennials, these young, these young punks are going to come in and they're going to try to teach me some words that I may not know, even though I'm super hip and down. <laughs> I don't know. Do they say down anymore? I don't know. Ben, is that? No. I've never heard that. Yeah. But, I don't think yeah. they say that anymore. It's it's cool. It's Some people are too <laughs> Groovy. cool. It's groovy. It's hip, baby. No, please. No. no, okay. Okay, so they're going to come in and talk about that. Where They're also going to teach us uh, – they found some really interesting video clips on YouTube that they're going to play about why we kiss. Mm. So if you, had to a- if you had to answer that, what would your answer be? You're asking me? Yeah. <laughs> you kiss why, – why I kiss my husband? Why or? do people kiss? Why do people yeah. kiss? Where did that all come from? It's weird. You press two lips together. I don't know how it came to be, but it's because you love the person. That's what you or think. really like the person. At so least. Let me just give you a little advice. Okay. I'm pretty sure we're going to learn it started not about love. Mm. It started about feeding. That's all I'm going to say. Wow, that's a good tease. Whoa. That's a great Stick tease, Stick with us actually. on that. I know. That's a total tease. You'll be back for that. <laughs> I will be. But before we do any of that, let's get to the headlines with Kathy Aiken. Well, as we've been discussing, the first GOP presidential debate is in the books, and Donald Trump was, well, Donald Trump. Throughout the debate, he called reporters dishonest and said many U.S. leaders are stupid. Trump got most of the airtime, speaking for 10 and a half minutes. Jeff Bush got the second amount. During the debate, Trump said there's no time for being politically correct. I've been challenged by so many people, and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness. And to be honest with you, this country doesn't have time either. This country is in big trouble. We don't win anymore. We need energy, we need quickness, and we need brain in this country to turn it around. In one of the first questions of the night, Trump was the only one unwilling to say he would not run as a third-party candidate if he's not the party's nominee. In the early debate, Rick Perry spoke about Donald Trump. I've had my issues with Donald Trump. I talked about Donald Trump from the standpoint of being an individual who was using his celebrity rather than his conservatism. Most pundits say Carly Fiorina won that early debate. She talked about an apparent phone call between Trump and Bill Clinton before Trump announced he was running. Well, I don't know. I didn't get a phone call from Bill Clinton before I jumped in the race. Did any of you get a phone call from Bill Clinton? I didn't. Maybe it's because I hadn't given money to the foundation or donated to his wife's Senate campaign. 
Trump denied the claim, saying he spoke with Clinton after he announced his candidacy. The next GOP debate is scheduled for September 16th at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton was busy fundraising in Hollywood last night, collecting money from Tom Hanks and as well as others. The first Democratic debate will take place October 13th in Nevada. A key Democrat voiced his opposition to the Iran nuclear agreement yesterday. New York Senator Chuck Schumer, the third-ranking Democrat in the Senate, said his concern was that Iran would still be free after the 10-year agreement to build a nuclear weapon. Schumer's no vote could open up a floodgate to other congressional Democrats voting against the agreement. President Obama has promised to veto any legislation stopping the proposed deal. President Obama and his family have begun a 17-day vacation on Martha's Vineyard, his sixth vacation there since 2009. Obama has no scheduled public events during his stay. Final arguments were made by both sides in the penalty phase of the James Holmes trial in Colorado yesterday. The same jury convicted the movie theater shooter of killing 12 people and injuring 70 that took place three years ago. The jury is resuming deliberations this morning. Holmes will either be sentenced to death or given life in prison. The manhunt for a cop killer in Louisiana ended yesterday when police arrested 27-year-old Grover Cannon. Cannon allegedly shot and killed Officer Thomas Lavalle when the officer responded to a report of a suspicious person inside a home. Cannon was already wanted in connection with another shooting on July 15th. And Matt, an amazing reunion took place in McKaysville, Georgia Mm. recently. 51 years ago, Thelma Tipton was told her daughter was stillborn, but the baby was actually sold illegally to her adoptive parents by a Dr. Thomas Hicks. Hicks told Tipton her daughter had a bad heart and had her sign a death certificate. Oh my heavens. When the woman, Christy Hughes, grew up and wanted to find her biological family, DNA testing helped to connect her to her birth mother. Tipton is now 75 years old and said she never forgot her baby girl. And according to the Associated Press, about 200 babies from that same doctor, Dr. Hicks, were sold in the 50s and 60s for $800 to $1,000. Holy cow. Dr. Hicks died in 1972 at age 83 and unfortunately was never held, held accountable for doing such a horrible thing. Can you believe that, that? A doctor doing that? Yeah, yeah, he sold many on that one on the black market back then in the Dr. 1950s Hicks. and 60s. Yes. Yeah, wow. that's can you imagine? Well, what a beautiful story though to at least have this time to yeah, be together. Yeah, but how look at that 51 years gap but she didn't get to spend oh, time with heavens. that girl. Yeah, Not crazy. terrible. Yeah. Well, great story though. Uh, peace found. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com and uh, discussing some pretty awesome uh, movies that are coming out this weekend. Fantastic Four. Got to hear about that one. That's going to be a big one. And Ricky and the Flash. We'll get to those as well. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. You are listening to The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, one of my uh, favorite segments that we do on the show every week is we, we do a review or a preview of the movies that are coming out, and we always like to go to Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com, which is a website uh, where, as film critics, they, they specialize in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective, just so you know what uh, your kids are going to be to be seeing in the theaters. So, Rod Gustafson, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. You're welcome, Matt. It's always great to be here because it's Friday. It is Friday. Yes. Yes. 
Tell me, uh, in fact, it's a big Friday, I guess. Fantastic Four is out. Now, that, I mean, that has a pretty good history and a good heritage. What's, what, uh, what's your take on that movie? Well, Fantastic Four is kind of interesting. It, um, it looking, I always like looking at the economics of movies, so I'm going to bore you for 30 seconds. <laughs> the, the previous Fantastic Fours have done well, but when you compare them to what's been happening with some of the newer Marvel releases, especially the ones that Disney has distributed, and of course, Disney now owns Marvel Studios, but part of the agreement when they bought that is they still license some characters to the other studios. So 20th Century Fox has the Fantastic Four. And I think as I came out of this movie, I thought, you know, this one, I just don't know that it is going to be able to live up up at the box office the same way some of the newer ones have that distributed by Disney. Oh, boy, that's kind of scary for the franchise, right? It is. I, I mean, it's still predicted to do fairly well. I mean, most of the most of the forecasts are saying somewhere around 50, 60 million. But this movie's production budget is well north of 100 million dollars. So that it's that opening weekend that means everything. And usually it's a very good sign if your movie can break even or make money on the opening weekend. I don't know that this one will. Hmm. So talk about the movie. Is it, it does it parallel the other ones? How does that how, how is it set up? Well, strangely enough, they're going back to the origin story again. Now, the first Fantastic Four movie came out about 10 years ago, and we did the origin story there. And, of course, the origin story means we are reintroduced to the characters. This is, uh, when you do that type of a film, it means you're going back to square one. Here's the characters. Here's how they became the strange superheroes with these unique powers that they have. And usually what happens with these franchises is you do the origin story movie and you introduce everybody and then you start making other adventures and movies based on that. You don't have to waste time introducing the characters, but this one goes back to square one again. And the other thing, Matt, is the origin story is quite different than the movie 10 years ago. And I've never read the comics. Have you? No, uh, nope. Yeah, so we're both in the dark. So this is going to throw people off. So I don't know which one's the true origin story, but in this one, we've got four characters who wind up. It starts with two young boys who create this this machine that allows them to transport matter. So just like the, the transporter in Star Trek. And they make this when they're young. In fact, they take it to a school science fair and their teacher says, you guys are crazy. You know, get this thing out of here. This isn't real science. Well, of course, they go on to make this incredible device. And it's transporting matter somewhere, but they don't know where. So, of course, what does anybody do in a comic book? They hop into the machine and see where it's going, and they wind up on another planet somewhere, and they are exposed to some strange force that turns them into these very unique people. One turns into a rock monster. The other one has these elastic limbs like Elastigirl in The Incredibles, same sort of idea. Another one can burst into flames at any time, and the one female of the group, she can turn invisible. Wow. That's... Sounds like a really great group of people. I mean, can you imagine? That's that's why this is exciting, right? 
Yes, it is. And of course, what comes into this, the Marvel comics, the military is often the bad guy. And of course, the military, now they become interested in this and they want to use these individuals for the purposes of, of for military purposes. And then things start going on from there. And there's also a bad guy, of course, the same bad guy that we had. Victor is his name. He was the same bad guy in, in the 2005 movie as well. So so the characters are the same but the the way that they achieve this is slightly different as far as what happens to them. Who who would you uh, send to this? At what age is this appropriate and good? Well, the good news is is there are there is virtually no sexual content in this movie. The profanities by PG thirteen standards are are lighter than most, but we still have a, about at least a half dozen scatological terms. Our polite way of describing that four letter word, and we do have some other language as well. But the violence, of course, we've got the usual superhero action violence. But I was really disturbed in the last few minutes of the movie. When the bad guy, he has these special powers that essentially allows him to stare at you until your head explodes. And (laughs) that's pretty graphic. They had a few of these. He's running down the hallway killing people using this method. And there was a a surprising amount of blood effects there for a few seconds. I mean, relatively short scene, but at the same time, that's what we call, we often refer to it as the high watermark in our grades. That's the high watermark of our violence grade in this movie, and it'll be getting a D-plus for violence. Yeah. By the way, review, we had a late screening last night. Our full review will be up, hopefully, in a couple of hours. Okay. But, Rod, you got to admit, sometimes your wife can look at you and make look at you so long that you feel like your head's going to explode. That's you? right. <laughs> yes, yes. Like one of my favorite little British cartoon characters, Pat Paddington Bear and yeah. his cold, hard stare. Well, that that's similar to this, except <laughs> on a much more graphic level. Well, it sounds like a, an interesting movie, especially if you're into the series already. Uh, mm-hmm. A little violent, but, you know, sexual content, pretty calm, pretty good. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, Matt, from an artistic perspective, I, I just found it it was a little plotish hmm. and it didn't have as much humor as what we're seeing from some of the other Marvel movies. So I was a little disappointed with yeah. that. They got to dig a little deeper on that one. Talk about Ricky and the Flash. That's another one out. That's out. Uh, Meryl Streep's in that one, isn't she? Yes, this is a basically what I would describe as a midlife crisis movie. It's interesting where. We are into this generation now where the 20-somethings and 30-somethings are be, have been raised by the 50-somethings, and that was when we were really beginning to see issues of family breakup and divorce and all of those types of things that have crept into our society. And uh, that's Ricky and the Flash is basically exploring that. Meryl Streep uh, left her family when she was younger because they were living in Indianapolis, and she was determined she wanted to pursue a career as a rock and roll star in Los Angeles. So she up and left her family, went to Los Angeles. A couple of decades have gone by. She has spent basically most of her time there singing in a little rundown bar with a rock and roll band. And her day job is a checkout clerk at a Mm. grocery store. One day the phone rings. It's her ex-husband. He explains to her that their daughter 
has uh, her husband has walked out on her and he says he really needs her to come back and spend some time with her daughter. So reluctantly, she goes back to Indianapolis and discovers her family again. But the husband's new wife, as long as along with uh, her other two sons, the two sons belonging to the Meryl Streep, the earlier marriage, they aren't very happy with her being there. So this is this is one of those family conflict movies where yeah. there's a lot of hard feelings that need to be worked out. What I did like about it, Matt, and I'll talk about the positive first, was that there are some great moments of forgiveness in this movie from many of the characters surrounding Ricky, who is the Meryl Streep character. But the problem is, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you realize everybody's forgiven Ricky, but she really hasn't given anything back in return. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you just, you don't feel like this character has really learned anything. Also, a very somewhat emotionally manipulative, happy ending. This film just works out a little bit too easy compared to how I think things would really go in reality. <laughs> and because it is trying to be a realistic film, unlike the Fantastic Four, you, you feel like, you know, you guys tried too hard to tie up all the strings. Sure. Oh, interesting. Isn't that, yeah, it's almost like formulaic. You need to, we need to make it happy, but we didn't quite do it in the way that we all end up doing it. Right. What will grab headlines the most for this movie will be Meryl Streep singing. Uh, all of the songs, there are a number of songs in this movie that are played by this huh. band of hers. Um, and, oh, by the way, her guitarist, Rick Springfield, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, totally. Good old Jesse Rick. Girl, all yeah. of that, yes. So, and you know, Rick has had a career very similar to what's being depicted in this film. And uh, so it's interesting seeing Rick Springfield back. They, they're a great sounding band. The joke of it is this band could do much better than the little rundown bar in reality sure. as well. But well, yeah. It's, yeah. The music is good, but, you know, the story is somewhat disappointing. I mean, again, if your lead singer was Meryl Streep, they could do even better. Yes, yes. I think more they people. Got, they just got to get yeah. that out there. Well, and so overall, you rated what? What did you rate Ricky and the Flash? C plus on Ricky and the Flash. So, you know, just below family viewing. Uh, and we do have content use in here. Probably the, the, the high watermark again for me in this movie that bothered me was a scene of marijuana use that is depicted very positive, positively. In fact, it is depicted in a way that it, it isn't until they use marijuana that they are able to start talking together uh, as a family. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, well, I don't know if that's a lesson I'd want my teens yeah. to The drug that brings us closer together. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Rod, we appreciate you, man. Great stuff. Again, uh, Fantastic Four, Ricky and the Flash. If you go to parentpreviews.com, you can read the entire review. They'll be putting up Fantastic Four a little bit later today, it sounds like. Uh, just, again, what a wonderful resource um, that they put together for you as a parent to make sure you know what your kids are going to see before they see it. Thanks again, Rod. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing Matt versus the Millennials. We'll be bringing in some of our student producers to come educate me, teach me, pick my brain, and, and to actually not pick my brain, but try to blow my brain up, maybe with one of those crazy magic stairs that we were talking about with Rod. We'll be right back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio. I think this is the first time we've allowed him in. 
in the studio. Two of our great uh, producers uh, are joining us. Elizabeth Miller, a.k.a. Lizzie, and uh, Kaylee Danes, a.k.a. Kim. We just make up a lot of names for both of them. But uh, we've asked our student producers to come in. Years ago, we used to, they were in here all the time. They were in here. We just would, they were on the air all the time. And we we changed that a bit. But we're, we're having you come back because apparently you guys have got an attitude as millennials. So we're going to do a little competition called Matt versus the Millennials. And we've asked Liz to kind of lead this thing, I guess, Liz. Yeah. What, what are you What are you going to do? Well, we're going to start off with a video that kind of, it, it meets both worlds, you know. We've okay. Got you, old world. <laughs> the old world. And the new and world. The new world. <laughs> okay. That is so rude. I just, no, no, no. We're <laughs> yeah. being inclusive. That's okay. part of the millennial okay. culture. So it's a video it's from YouTube? Yes. This is a video from YouTube from. Is YouTube on the interweb? Um, it is. Actually, it's the World Wide Web. That's actually where you start that off. There. Oh. But, yeah. WWW, World yeah, Wide Web. exactly. That's for that. Oh, oh that's okay. That's great. But yeah, so this is from um, a YouTube channel called Vsauce, and he's going to explain to us kissing. Like, why why do we do that? Okay, why are we doing that? Why are we explaining that? Because it seems like a no-brainer. We kiss because we like it. Well, yeah, that makes sense, but I don't know. I was watching it, I think, one of the days looking for some kind of topic. And you, I, we know what you're looking for. Yeah, we know what I was looking for. Was <laughs> Liz, we you know, totally know. You start looking know. at the celebrity couples and you just, you get there. You're like, okay, automatically get there. Okay, so this <laughs> like is, this is why we kiss according to Vsauce, the, the YouTuber. Yeah. Evolutionary psychologists have argued that what we know today as kissing may have come from kiss feeding. The mm-hmm. exchange of pre-chewed food mm. from one mouth to another. Ooh. Mother birds are famous for doing this, and many primates are frequently seen doing it as well. Not that long ago, it was common between human mothers Ugh. and their children. In fact, before commercially produced or DIY baby food instructions were readily available, it made a lot of sense. Ugh. So really? There you go. Yeah. So kissing, according to the millennial generation, because we would have not known this years ago, no, well, no, I, f- I feel like it stemmed from you guys, though. So it's our fault that you yes. guys kiss. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should say thank you and also thank you for, like, well, stopping with the food in between. Well, we, let's just be real. There's different generations. So I'm a generation, but I'm kind of different than my boss, Don's generation. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so it's really Don's generation. <laughs> so you guys are saying, the millennials are saying, it's Don's fault that you guys kiss. Yeah, I guess more this is our thank you, then. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. But you know what? Let's just be real because Don's generation, 60, 59 plus year olds, they didn't kiss actually. They just kiss fed. Yes. Actually, I don't know. I I don't you don't often see like eating on movies, you know. You yeah. notice that the food always stays on the plate it's yeah. because actually that's what would happen. Oh my weird. This yeah. is so strange. Because with my kids, I used to like put grapes in my mouth and I'd shoot them out of my mouth and my kids would try to eat them. Would they try and catch them or was it like kind of a mouth-to-mouth reception? It was more catching. They were like five feet away. Okay. That's pretty good. So you were teaching them. Well, actually, I'm an asthmatic, so they were more like two feet away. (laughs) (laughs) They were were actually on the ground. They just kind of dribbled out of my (laughs) mouth. Anyway, that's weird. So so kiss feeding. Okay, that's good to know. I thought a kiss was just because of romance. Okay, we've blown that myth up thanks Mm. to the millennials. Well, actually, it does have something to do with romance. What? Um, So it's kind of – you can use it as a taste-testing thing because you have a lot of – Taste testing. So kissing is like tasting. Taste testing, testing your future partner. But what are you testing for? 
Um, compatibility. So a lot of it, you have like estrogen and testosterone and all that in your saliva, like those uh, hormones. Uh, and so you're seeing, I guess, if you match, if you have that match. So you're testing moment. for genes. You're testing for hormones. Do yes. they have enough testosterone, which means they could be a good daddy and we they'd protect us? And do they have enough estrogen, which means we'd, I guess, be fertile? I don't know. Yeah, it's, you'd be compatible. It's that moment in the movies where, like, the girl's foot pops, the guy, I don't know, yeah. dips her or whatever, probably weird? doesn't drop her. I mean, uh-huh. if he doesn't drop her, that's one thing, too. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to drop. If you dip, you don't drop. Remember that. That's old school. You don't need to be a millennial to know that. So do you have a clip on um, this one from uh, Vsauce? On the taste testing. Uh-huh. Because the taste testing so. is weird to me. I mean, it makes sense that you're, you, I could tell at a chemical level if we'd be a good fit. Mm-hmm. I think it's on that second clip if we go a little further into it. Maybe hit Healthy that. mothers and healthy children can benefit from the fact that kiss feeding provides nutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, iron, and zinc, which wow. are not always available in breast milk. Plus, an adult's saliva can help pre-digest the food, Ugh. making vitamins like B12 easier for the baby to absorb. Ugh. So mouth-to-mouth attachment has a history of intimacy, trust, and closeness. Your saliva also carries information about who you are, your level of health, and mucous membranes in our mouths are permeable to hormones like testosterone, making a kiss a way to taste test a potential mate. A good kiss can be biological evidence that your kisser might be a good mate. So as a strategy for mate selection, prehistoric people who enjoyed kissing and did it more often may have made better decisions, picked better mates, reproduced more successfully, and eventually become the norm, giving us us, people who love kissing. Any infant could have seen those benefits coming from a mile away. Let's just stop that. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> um, that's a lot about kissing. It is. Well, kissing and food. We all yeah. romance and, and food. And who doesn't it. need to eat? Um, <laughs> let's now go to one of our millennial kissing experts. Oh, gosh. Kaylee Danes, <laughs> a.k.a. Kim, Kimbalaya, Kimbalicious. Um, so why of all things that you could have brought on the Matt Townsend show on your first meet, uh, Matt uh, versus the millennials, why did you choose personally – Kaylee, to go for the kissing discussion. Since it's a competition, I wanted something that I'm good at. So (laughs) bring your strengths first. Your dad will be so proud. I hope they're not listening today. No, they are. I'm sure they are. (laughs) Um, Okay, because here's what we're going to have to do. You have another little test you want to do, right? You want to do some – what are you going to do? We're going to go with some um, acronyms, see if you know what these mean. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to go do some acronyms and then – We'll take a break, go do BYU Sports Nation, and then you guys stick around and we'll come back and do more acronyms because you guys don't get this because I know in your eyes I seem old, but I'm not. I'm hip. You guys are so rude. <laughs> I'm hip. And so Super test hip. me. Test me. Give me an acronym. So these are acronyms like that we use when – Or just slang terms. Yeah. Okay, not get, all of them are Bring acronyms. them on. Give me one. Piece of cake. Well, this isn't an acronym, but like when someone says swole, like you're looking really swole. Swole, swollen. Looks like you're you're retaining water. <laughs> You've, you're swollen, swole. Yeah. You done swolled out. It's partially a medical term, yeah. Yeah. Was this, that was I, very specific. Mm-hmm. As well. Am I accurate? Completely on. Bingo. 
well, a little off. <laughs> That's oh. more to do with the gym, but yeah. Oh, like swole. Like, like you, you're going like, to go get swole. Like, man, you look like you really buffed up today. Well, thank you. Because <laughs> you're not wearing your Fitbit. I'm not, I can't wear it today. You don't look as fit. I'm traveling and I didn't want to carry all my extension cords. Um, <laughs> I've already got to carry all the, anyway, my breathing apparatus. <laughs> no. So, um, so swole is, means I'm buff, I'm ripped, I'm, 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 I'm bulging with muscles. Mm-hmm. Okay, swole. I was pretty close though. Swollen, like with retaining water. Okay, uh, now we have to take a break, but we'll, we'll come back. You guys stick with us. We'll go get. We'll throw some of them out to uh, our guys at BYU Sports Nation. We'll see if they go really. A younger. They might enough. know some. Oh my word! <sighs> Thanks, Kike. <laughs> Kike Danes, uh, Liz Miller. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More uh, battling Matt versus the Millennials. Stick with us, folks. We'll also come right back to BYU Sports Nation. We'll uh, don't forget. We're here. We're here to help you find the good. We'll be right back. I guess it's anger management toy packaging. Nothing makes me lose my cool toy packaging. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, sir. We have an issue. What? There's a fly in the studio. Oh, no. Okay. I'm going to send Kaylee down to get it. Come on, Kaylee. Let's go. <laughs> we, okay, during the show, we've had mul- multiple instances of, like, confetti dropping down. Sure. From balloons. Con- not balloons. Confetti, because okay. we shot off confetti the, the day BYU started the football season last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Because we do a countdown every day on the show. Okay. Um, there's a fly in here. Oh, this no. is an issue. Okay, there was an entire episode of Breaking Bad devoted to a fly. As well. Yeah, so this is a real thing. Do you know how you get a fly out of there? How? Honey. Flies are attracted to honey more than vinegar. Interesting. No, I have no idea. <laughs> are you serious? I'm like, no, what? I'm totally joking. Say, I have no idea. Hey, uh, I got two questions for you because I'm doing a battle, uh, Matt versus the millennials, and I need uh, you guys are. Pretty much millennials. Um, yeah, we're millennials. So here's – I got two words I'm going to ask you. You have to give me the definition. Mm. The hey. word is bay, B-A-E. Okay. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. It stands for before anything else or before anyone else. Wow. Typically associated with, you know, boyfriend, girl, girlfriend or what. Some people but joke about it, a sport it, it being It can be bae. a thing. Yes. You guys are good. Yes. Actually, you're wrong. It's it's the opening of a of a river or a um... okay, yeah, and a straight S T R A I T. Yeah, okay. Here's another one. Here's another one. Salty. Salty means uh, crabby annoyed, in a bad mood. Angered. Annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you so salty? Wow. Why you be all salty? Bay. Bay. Why you be all salty, Bay? My bay. My bay was all salty. <laughs> <laughs> These are things that we don't say. Oh my heavens! I say I, I use salty. I, I use I tease my wife with that one. I think you're why both you so salty. Sal- why are you so salty? I mean, like be all salty, bay. Hey, That's you know I'm what saying. else we just learned? <laughs> we just learned off air that you you lose about two calories a minute kissing. It's not very much. I know. That's not even worth doing. That's all. It's not even worth it. Okay, so uh, you guys got a show. What's what's going on on your show today? Yeah, well, today is a huge show. Yeah, huge. Today is our BYU football fall camp preview, Matthew. Oh, man, cool. 
We are going to get you ready for BYU Fall Camp, which begins tomorrow, which, by the way, follow at BYU TV Sports. We will periscope live interviews cool. uh, for the first time after practice. So check that out. Tomorrow, cool. about 8 Eastern time is when they begin. Okay. What else? Well, then you heard about what happened with Jamal Williams. Yesterday. Yes, BYU huge. senior running back, for those that don't know, uh, will redshirt the 2015 season. He withdrew from school and uh, is going to take a year off and try and come back for the 2016 season, but there are no guarantees. This is huge yeah. news because he was on pace to become BYU's all-time leading rusher. Wow. This is a significant hit to that offense, which we were all feeling so confident about. And now it's just kind of like, well, now there's that much more pressure on Taysom Hill, which yep. – I don't think is a good thing. No. And no. a lot of people are asking, well, what happened? That's none of our business, right? right. But you don't withdraw from school. Uh, you know, there, there's yeah. only certain reasons there's for why a reason. you would withdraw right. from school. Okay, So we're not going to guess at those. But the most important thing at this point is BYU needs to get Jamal Williams back for 2016 because he's a fantastic player, a fantastic kid. He's only 20, by the way. Oh, my he's heavens. He's going to be a senior. Wow. And, and BYU's 2016 schedule is really tough. So hopefully he comes back. He can, if he wants, transfer to another school, redshirt, and then play next Which year. Which is a, a scary I hope possibility. Not, but yeah. it's, it's a possibility. Oh, he's got to finish that record. He's got to break yeah. the record. He's yeah. got to come back and play Utah. He gets another shot at Utah if he mm. comes back. We will go through all of the okay. silver linings of Jamal Williams' potential of playing in 2016. fact of the matter is, he did it. We're not going to speculate why. That doesn't matter. What matters is how it affects BYU football now and if Jamal can get back for 2016. And that's, that's what you'll be covering. Great yeah, show, we'll, boys. We'll, we'll yes. tell you the guys that uh, you know are behind him and how yeah. it impacts Taysom Hill. Awesome. Uh, so a lot going on. And, yeah, bad okay. news, but we'll break it down. Not well, to mention unprecedented access for BYU football fans. Details on that coming up. Well, you guys, I just want you both to know you're, you're kind of my base. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if I'm comfortable with that. I know. Me. It's kind of awkward. I'm a little salty, sure, but you're still my base. Go have a great show, gentlemen. Holler. Thank you, sir. Holla. Happy Friday. Hasta we love you. Vista. See ya. Peace out, yo. See how cool I am? Peace out, yo. See, that's what we used to say back in my day. <clears throat> Peace out, yo. Now you guys are like, hey, bay, salty. <sighs> We're back with Liz. <laughs> Liz Miller's joining us. Uh, so is Crystal Danes. These are our two producers uh, from the Matt Townsend show. They're trying to they're trying to show me that millennials know more than the chosen generation. I don't know if it's we know more. You just know more about this we just crazy know cooler language. things. Okay, so give me more tests. Test me. I want to be tested. I should be testing you, but okay. you test me. You test us. Okay, Crystal, give me a word, and then I'll give you a word. Okay. Um. Do you know it's an acronym? It's like you say it, yeah. illy. Like you text it. Like How do you spell Illy. it? Spell it. I L Y. My little sister uses all the time. I had to ask her what it meant. Um, yeah, I use it. I L Y means in. Uh, I love you. I love you. Wow. Illy. I love you. Or ye, if you're using the old English. I love ye. I love ye. <laughs> I like to be diversified. Yeah. Is that right? That is. Oh, <laughs> see, that's see, that's the difference with millennials because your acronyms. Are different than our acronyms. What are your acronyms? Let me give you one. Um, (laughs) Okay, here's an acronym. Here's an acronym. Okay, double A M C O. (laughs) Double A M C O. Isn't that like the old? No, that's the double A R P. That's like the double A R double A R P double A M C O is the is the acronym. Oh, let's see. 
All American meatloaf convention organization. She no. she'd be really good at this. No Liz way. Is secretly an. How did you know that? No. I am secretly eighty. On the no, side. it's not. It's not the All American Meatloaf. Whatever. Convention organization. They organize the conventions for meatloaf lovers. Yeah. No. It's not that. I've never had It's a small convention. Double uh, AMCO is actually a transmission repair company called Amco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went there last week. <laughs> they turned me away, actually. Double <laughs> AMCO. That's how they use it in their commercial Amco. <laughs> so if you need a transmission, that's where you would go. But wait, give me... wait does, yeah. what does it stand for, though? It doesn't stand for anything. It stands for Amco. Oh. <laughs> And it, you that, told us it was an acronym. I know. Though. I lied. Yeah. I lied. Um, no. That's what old people do. We I'm lied. a little salty about that. <laughs> You're a lot salty, Karina. Okay. Uh, give me another one. Test me. So Kaylee, Kaylee used this one earlier today, and I didn't know what it meant. Oh. Like I said, I'm like 86 on the inside, yeah. so it's hilarious that I'm talking about millennials. By stuff. the way, Liz, Liz Miller is 20-something on the outside, 86 on the inside. She's so literally true. rotting from the inside <laughs> out. But you're, you really are an old spirit, which I, is really yeah, cool. And Liz is like a really – I mean – and Kaylee's like a really young spirit. I am. I'm 12 on the inside. So we kind yeah. of even you're out You're like the perfect millennial. combination. Yeah. Okay. Give me, give me another one. So she used this in a story earlier. It's um, <laughs> Spit Game. Pardon? Spit Game. Well, Spit Game is the kissing you were talking about. Close. Where... No, it's I, not tonsil kinda. hockey. No. It, I mean it's – I was telling a story about this kid. I this was like, kid. oh, there's this, there was this home kid who was trying to spit game at me this weekend. She's like, I had no clue what was going on. Okay, hold on. So say that again. So I was telling her the story about this kid. I said, oh, home kid wouldn't stop texting me. He was coming to spit game at me. Spit game at you. Yeah. It's not hooking loogies. Okay. So it's actually because he's not, he's, he's, he's trying to like talk smack with you. Exactly. That's a spit game. a little salty about something Mm -hmm. I went down. And because it was all happening on the phone. No. I mean, yes, but what that's is, not what, what it is. What is home? He's a home. He's a home kid. Like, what is home kid? Just this mean? guy. He's homely. He's ugly. <laughs> Homeschooled. I mean, he wasn't attractive, if we're being honest. But he was trying to spit game. Like, I wouldn't share food with him why with you, my mouth. Why do you choose to talk like this? <laughs> it's not really a choice. Like, it chose me, if you will. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh my head! No spit game. Like he was hitting on me. Like he was trying to. For that matter, where did hitting come on, on someone come from? So, That's a valid point. G- give me, yeah, give me, on. give me one more. We have time for one more. All right, Liz, you pick. You guys speak. <sighs> Ooh, FOMO. Pardon? Okay. <laughs> FOMO. I didn't know this one either. FOMO. F O M O. I know. I mean, Liz has learned more from this than you. I, I really think. Yo Yofa Yes, Yofa. No, it's FOMO. Like FOMO. a foam finger and a mohawk. It's a FOMO. FOMO. Thus, FOMO. FO would be formal. Mm-hmm. Um, mo would be. FOMO FO would be formal mother formal mother it would be your actual mother yeah as opposed to is that accurate yeah it's what your mom um, tells you when she wants you to speak to her in the proper tone (laughs) speak to me in FOMO Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine my mom saying. My mom that. says that constantly. FOMO, my FOMO my mom, my mom, FOMO, when Kaylee. she came out of surgery, she said that. <laughs> but I think that was not intentional. It, yeah. So it actually means fear of missing out. Oh, I've heard that a million times, I'm even sure on the have. show. FOMO. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. FOMO. I'm you can use this with your kids. Do you know to connect with them more? Um. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
This is why we don't connect anymore because they speak so crazy. Um, yeah. Well, you guys, that was great. Uh, I, I'm sorry to school you. Double mm, A-M-C-O. It was so awkward. And FOMO. You guys got me, I think, once. I think I think the score, if we add the score up, I think it was three, Matt, one for the millennials. Really? Yeah, what, what is the point system? Anyway, we're going to wrap the show right well. there. The like point system is created and designed by the founder of the show, Dr. Matt. Dr. Matt. Not just Dr. Matt. Uh, so we appreciate you, we appreciate your producing. You guys are great producers. So all of the guests that you hear on the show brought to you really by these fine ladies plus about four other producers. We've got the most producers in the history of the world. <laughs> Ever. On this yes. show. And we appreciate these two, Elizabeth Miller and Cletus Danes, um, two wonderful, wonderful my producers. Name. <laughs> we're out of here, folks. That's the show. And we're how what better way to end it than just thanking our heroes? My heroes are my two producers. Actually, everybody. We couldn't do it without Ben behind uh, behind the wheel. And Terry really is the master of it all. He we call him the puppeteer. He really knows what he's doing. We're gonna we're gonna again just bid adieu until Monday, folks. Thanks for being with us again. Take care of the people you love. You got the weekend. Make it matter. And until Monday, make it a great one.